Hello and welcome to the Emotive Pixels podcast. We're back on season three, episode three, Disco Elysium. This one's been in the grinder for a long time. Will has died several times to bring it to you. I am the host this week, Nate, and with me we have Craig. Hey. And Will. It's a me. It's a me, really. In lieu of an opening question this week, I have two white checks for each of you to pass. I have a D6 here, and I have two thought cabinet thoughts, one for each of you. Who would like to go first? Will says he would like to go first. Now, Will, I've got a savoir faire check here for you called Dances from Mesk to the Eggs. You have a pretty high chance on this. You got a 42%. I've got a D6 here. You cool if I roll it for you? Yeah, let's go. I rolled it on a soft mat, but oh, you passed. You passed confidently. Outstanding. Uh, he, he, here's the text that I see. What did you roll? What was it? D6. I guess the game doesn't really tell you what it's rolling, does it? Uh, that's true. It's yeah, two right. D6s, so and you can critical fail or critical pass. So there's a 3% chance or a 97% chance are your limits. Well, crap. I should have had contingencies for that. That would have been fun. <laughs> uh, the text I have here says, Within you there exists a horrendous vacuum, an area devoid of purpose, a doomed passion area of sorts. There's a serious need in there, man. What are you going to do about it? Better start planning, and studying a glass egg or two might help. This sounds like my experience with Disco Elysium perfectly. Um, while this is working, this has a 45-minute uh, thought cabinet internalization time. You get a plus two bonus to Disco Elysium thinking. Outstanding. Now, Craig, it's your turn. Uh, you have a pretty All low right. chance on this one. You've got a 21%. Great. So, Thanks, buddy. I, I, I hope this works out for you. Glad you're setting me help for success here. <laughs> you passed, but barely. All right. Craig's is a physical instrument check. It's called the Great Reformation. Yeah, he The text did. here says, Towering over your young life looms a history of fear and uncertainty. Your life may not last long. You might want to think about this, but don't think too much about it. People will think you're dramatic. And it's the kind of thing that can consume you from the inside out anyway. What you'll really need is some kind of improbable high school to out-of-state college-level transformation. Maybe try some substances? And this All also right. has a plus-two critical thinking about Disco Elysium effect while it internalizes, but it's going to take an hour. Oh, I feel like Stay tuned like for the electric... back half of this podcast when it gets That's good. Right. I feel like electrochemistry could have uh, been a little more fitting there. That is true. I don't how seriously to take the suggestions that the thought cabinet thoughts have. Yeah, that is also But we fair. will get to that all shortly because we're here to talk about Disco Elysium, which is a Estonian, but I guess pan-European, written mainly in London, I guess, computer role-playing game released in 2019 and updated in 2021 with console ports uh, and voice acting. It is a wordy game that has basically its big twist is that it's a, a crpg like those of the 90s except instead of characters you have different voices in your head that represent different aspects of your identity um should we do a plot summary first or the kind of who made this thing what do you think wow craig didn't even move his eyes um 
in the <laughs> yeah in let's the, go straight into the plot summary since i'm a doctor yeah. experienced in working with comatose patients yes nice <laughs> plot summary uh i wrote this one down you're a mysterious no-name with total amnesia a la the classic rpg trope who wakes up in a hotel discovering you've drank yourself into a total stupor you're here from your precinct to solve an apparent murder mystery that has left someone hanged in the courtyard outside the hotel a mercenary Initially, it looks like the local workers' union was at fault, who are adversarial and defensive in your attempts to investigate. Through several days of investigation, it becomes apparent that the mercenary was actually killed by a far-distant hermit practicing communist ideology. Desperately in love with a fellow hotel guest from afar, jealous of the sexual affair the mercenary was having with this guest. The murder was reframed as a hanging to defend the hotel guest, who they felt would otherwise be accused. But before this is fully revealed, there's a climactic action scene where the murdered mercenaries' comrades return and stage a public execution of the union leaders claiming responsibility, and in some cases, shoot the player and the greatest NPC of all time, Kim Kitsuragi, your partner. Uh, the game ends with you meeting the aforementioned communist, the deserter, who surrenders to you, the last of his kind, 43 years since the failure of revolution, who collapses in death. At the disappearance of the cryptid, dubbed the Insulindian Phasmid, a supernatural being that has watched the region's history for some 350 years and has observed and played some hand in the various failed and successful revolutions. Get all that, Will? God. I think I got up to the first sentence there. <laughs> <laughs> I think most of that was beyond what Will has seen, so I apologize for the spoilers. Basically, yeah, you're a detective trying to figure out a murder mystery, and some crazy political rebel killed him under the influence of a crazy, like, uh, bug. Is being. this I, is this your experience or is this everybody's experience? This is the experience. That is the experience. Yeah, you will make it through this experience by the end of if you finish this game and roll credits at, I guess, the ending. Although there is earlier endings if you die earlier or go elsewhere but this is this is the game i will say that the bit about the supernatural uh bug being controlling the assassin is sort of subtext but it's also kind of text so that might be like you can miss meeting the phasmid altogether but even if you miss seeing it which is pretty rare you don't get to talk to it, but you still see it, and then it disappears. And when it disappears, the assassin starts convulsing and dies. So it's subtext that like the thing was controlling it at that point, but it's you know Chekhov's gun sort of situation, I guess. Uh, we will get it all into that more after we talk about who the heck made this game. So this game was written and led by Robert Kurvitz, kind of. It's kind of an art collective. Zaum, which of course we would be remiss to not mention the fact that za and um are apparently fucking theoretical syllables of Russian proposed by radical poets in the 1960s. Uh, so even the developer name is like chalk deep in revolutionary like history. Kurvitz is kind of credited as the lead. He wrote a book called The Sacred and Terrible Air that's still only available in Estonian. That's kind mm -hmm. of a big book of events in Elysium, which is kind of a 10-year project for his role-playing game that he runs with his friends. But as I'm I said, guessing Zaum you're going to learn Estonian so you can read it? At this rate, that's what you're going to have to do. Because uh. I'm like, why is no one translating this? 
I imagine the uh, imposter syndrome must be very strong. I don't think anyone probably expected this game to get the reception that it did. Um, as I mentioned, Zaum is like a collective, right? So there's also Alexander Rostov, who's the art director. That kind of brings that impressionist painterly style. And Helen Hindpierre, who is another writer. And then, of course, there's a huge studio. I think there's something like 20 writers in this game, a million words, which is something, something. We're going to talk kind of more about words. Um, and since we're recording this in 2022, which I guess would be catastrophically late, we can say that we're being timely because there's been some leaked legal documents about Zaum's cultural association being dissolved recently. And someone, I, I forget how that news made it out, but when people were talking about, oh, what is the dissolution of the cultural association, which is a like a group within the company, what does that mean for the studio? It also came out that Kurvitz, and I believe Rostov and Hindpierre, uh, had been forcefully ejected from the company at the end of last year, which is a little concerning because there were plans for a Disco Elysium too. Um, if you look at Steam, it's been... Not actually not review bombed, but tons of people are talking about this is this is being perceived by the internet as kind of a cash grab by Zaum to try to keep the rights. And there a lot of this made it to the West by uh there's papers that have been filed in Estonian court of Kurvitz suing Zaum to try to get the property back. So there's kind of a lot going on right now. We don't know all about that stuff, but yeah, I think that the kind of the important thing I think in our discussion here today is that the team is definitely Estonian. They're from Eastern Europe, a country in the Soviet bloc that was in the USSR in all of the developers' lifetimes. Well, I don't know about all, but most. Definitely the author. And I think that that's pretty relevant to kind of the viewpoint that this is espousing. Oh, Yes. There is also, when the game came out, there was a huge list of developer inspirations mm. that they released alongside it. Um, there's tons of stuff. Invisible Cities by Italo Calvino, which I've read, which is like a, a surreal... I guess we don't need to go into book report mode. No, but there's I'm also curious, the, like, if you've read that, do you understand where the inspiration... Like, that? that is... Is there a direct line of sight between the two? Yeah. Kind, kind of Invisible Cities is like surreal accounts of cities that it's Marco Polo coming back to the Kublai Khan and reporting on the cities he's been to. Yeah. And they're all like surreal visions of like cities that are it's it's basically like early magic realism, I think. OK. So, yes, in that it's like very flourishing and describes cities, but like it's not like you're going to get exactly a Disco Elysium by reading it. City in the City by China Meville. I don't, I keep hearing about him. He wrote like a fictional account of the Russian Revolution. I've been meaning to read him, but I just, like, every time I get to it on my reading list, I bump something above it. Um, oh, and the soundtrack is scored by British Sea Power, now just known as Sea Power, because uh, after Brexit and stuff, it's just oh, slapping just... Britain on. <laughs> British Sea Power has kind of had a different flavor. Uh, okay, interesting. And what is Red Rock Riviera? It was one of the songs that they, uh, that's by, I guess, now Sea Power. Um, is that's is either... that the... Yeah, I think so. Okay, great. Um, soundtrack on Bandcamp. I have it. It's pretty good. And 
Yeah, I think that's all our metadata about what this game is. Is there anything else you guys would like to throw in at the beginning? I don't think so. I mean, it's interesting, and we'll get into this, right? But that what you explained sounds complicated and convoluted and difficult to grasp. Yet when you start the thing, it's like, hey, you're just a detective that is fucking hungover and you're here to solve a murder. That's it, more or less, right? Like, yeah, here to solve why this guy died. But don't you feel like this game, like immediate? I guess we're we're hot into the discussion yeah. already. But this game immediately makes you sort of like start drowning in its words. I guess. Oh, absolutely. Even even before you're like miles deep in political knots. Yeah, it's just it's interesting just to see where it gets into versus where you start within the first ten seconds, where someone would like pitch it to you and they'd be like, "Oh, it's like a detective game where like you're trying to solve a murder," and then there's all of everything else that we'll get into. Yeah, I, I started this episode with a plot spoiler because I don't think we'll spend a lot of time actually kind of talking about what happens so much as what all of that represents. I think if this were a normal podcast where we kind of talked about the game on its level, you're right, it would have made way more sense to just kind of start with it's a murder mystery. What all did you guys find out? Yeah, There's plenty I, of podcasts that have already covered that to death. Yeah, I, I'd also be curious, Will, I should have... I didn't want to put you on the spot, but I almost thought of having you summarize this game in complete, like <laughs> b- before I gave my description. What is, what is Disco Elysium? Oh man, this game's been tough. Uh, so um, we've kind of talked about it. I've restarted this game uh, like four or five times now. Um, I think the key to me making the most progress has been uh, one of your last pieces of advice. Um, where at one point I was telling you, I just can't comprehend anything that's going on here. And you were like, well, hey, there's a skill, encyclopedia, which will just jump in and tell you what the hell things mean and what's going on. And so for my final restart, I was almost completely maxed out in encyclopedia and getting that context for everything that was going on. And and even when things seemed like they should be obvious from context to be like, oh, here's the name of a city, and it'd be like, oh, this is a city, and this is, you know, how it relates to the area, and the blah, blah, blah. It um, almost became approachable for my final run where I was getting all of this additional information. Um, I was kind of comparing this to, there There was a great, um, I think it's an extra credits episode where they're talking about a good intro versus a bad intro and they're comparing like a modern warfare, which which kind of gets you into the action and, and shows you what's going on versus the um, Skyrim intro where you're sitting in the back of a wagon and you just have two people talking to each other and they just give you term after term after term and political people and the names of people and the names of houses. And you're just and it's like. I don't have any context to know who or any of these people are, what, how they relate to each other, how many of these are important. I'm not going to be able to remember them because you're just throwing words at me. And that's what this game felt like quite a long time for me. Uh, so uh, I can't remember what your initial question was, um, but it has been a lot of like really struggling to figure out what's going on, what the context is. I think when I started talking to the rich lady and she mm. was starting to give me 
um, both context on like, what is reality? Where am I? What's going on? But then she started hinting at the, the, um, this mysterious interspace between the worlds. And then she like straight up tells you we're not on a sphere. This is not a planet. We're not all of a sudden I was like, Whoa, what the heck is going on here? Um, and so I could, as I was starting to see that, I was starting to get that um, wander wonder feeling and like thinking, oh man, where could they be going? And yeah, I can see them getting to um, supernatural aliens at some point because we're talking about these isolated world islands in between some weird, Pale. mysterious, multi-dimensional things. So yeah, seeing some aliens pop out of there seems like we could have gotten there. Um it probably you, would be fun getting there. Did you ever talk to the lady in the wheelchair in the whirling and rags? The, um, the quite crypt, a few times. The, the her, cryptid hunter. Yeah, her husband. She her lost husband. her husband, and then I told her her husband was across the the gate that I couldn't go across, and then she was okay. And then I just got across that gate on mm. Wednesday morning. That's where I. Uh, am currently he had a childhood experience at five with a cryptid and she talks to you about that i think pretty early on and that yeah. cryptid is the thing you meet at the end of the game mm. so, it's, yep. so it's not quite alien but it, it's interesting how as as much as it sounds like there's a gradual path to get there this pretty much immediately like disclosed to you at the beginning of the game too which is interesting everybody talks about it like it's a like it's a yeti yeah like you know completely fictional it's uh, it's presented as like, oh, yeah, it's these crazy joke. guys that are just yeah out there like hunting. It's like, oh, they're just wasting their time because there's nothing better to do in life type scenario. So for it to actually show up does present some sort of surprise. But I do think one other thing about going into this game, similar to, to Will for how you kind of bounce into it. I also had that same experience of like, what in the world is happening here? Like, there's just so much text being dumped on you about the world and the exposition. I was like, how do I put these things in context? How do I understand the concepts and the like? It's also a bunch of new terminology. It's not necessarily utilizing, you know, the terms that we use um, or old, but either yeah. way, not current. No, not not current. And Nate, I think you had had experience reading text like books outside of uh gaming that present worlds in this sort of way where it's just like a dump and you just have to essentially be with it and in it for a period of time before you can start making those connections and that was super beneficial to me as i started playing it to be like cool like be overwhelmed and exist within that space and know that after a couple hours things will start to form some sort of connections hopefully um, and I, then that did end up occurring eventually. Yeah, I mean, I love me some like giant space operas, right? Yeah. Um, you, you take your pick from you know mundane to Star Wars, Star Trek to uh, you know I've been watching The Expanse, Mass Effect, even you know kind of the stuff like all the Brandon Sanderson stuff, the Wheel of Time stuff, like these huge, big world, epic worlds, and if you were you know, if anywhere to jump in in the middle of, you know, the 15th book in this series, of course you're going to be as lost. Like, oh, who are these powers? Why do they relate to each other? What does it mean to have, uh, you know, a Mass Effect drive? What, you know, like all of the, the, the technology and all the, but 
in almost all of those cases, it feels like they've built up to it. They they helped you build the understanding of the situation, the you know interpolitical ramifications, the technology, the all those kinds of things. And this game, not only starting in media res, but then with that dump of completely foreign terminology, yeah. I feel like if they had just used the in world in our world equivalents of a bunch of things, it would have made it much more appro- approachable. Uh, yeah. That. Sorry, starting off with the bummer criticism, but no, yeah, we might be jumping ahead. Um, I think we'll get back to that. I think before we dive into the yeah, bring us back in the, the meat of this. I'm curious, who were your cops? Will you've probably had like five? Well, wait, 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 hold on. Well, who is the character? Who's the main character of this game? Did you, did you ever find out his name in any of your playthroughs? Uh, Dubois, right? All oh, right. Uh, yeah. yeah. Harry Dubois. Harry Dubois. Harrier with an R, right? Harrier. Yes. Yeah. What Harrier Dubois did you have over the course of your life? So I have three main restarts that I can think of. My first instinct was to go in and I wanted to play, quote unquote, like myself. So very intellectually focused and um, a little bit of like dexterity focused. And then, you know, I it's funny because I was telling Nate, what the hell is this game? It's not even a game. And then as I'm telling Nate this, I sit in a chair and die. And I'm like, well, shit. <laughs> what the heck was this even about? <laughs> so my, my second main restart, I was like, well, okay. Obviously, Nate was right. There's a game here, so I'm going to play this like a game. And I went super into the physical traits. And that was kind of fun in a way. I was able to like brute force myself through a bunch of the areas of the game that I hadn't been able to figure out the first time. Stuff like um, the big, the racist guy who's the guard on top of the the, the fence. Measure straight up. Measure head. Yeah, yeah. measure head. I straight up roundhouse kicked that dude in the face (laughs) and walked through. There's a, there's a, there's a I whole hotel that. that you have to like break in. Well, there's a couple, I think there's at least two ways into, but um, the way I got there was going through the bookstore. There's like the back room and then there's a door and I just freaking slammed my way through that door and had access to this hotel and the radio room and all that stuff like way earlier than I did in, in my, my other playthroughs of the game. Um, this sounds like an awesome build. Yeah, it really does. Jealous I didn't do this. It was pretty awesome in that I could get places and go places. Um, But you know, as I was talking to Nate, had no fucking clue what was going on. Um, (laughs) And fortunately, unfortunately, that build got borked due to some bugs, and I had to restart anyway. And so that main restart, I went with Nate's suggestion to load heavily into the um, the the one that has encyclopedia in it and a little bit of health a little bit um so the the health and morale were like the first stats that i invested in so i had some wiggle room to play with and then with having the encyclopedia i was able to get a lot more context understanding what's going on um in retrospect how i'm playing now is how i probably would have suggested for a first playthrough it's um i'm a little bummed to hear that that it is so um, focused a singular story because I kind of feel like I wanted to play a second time to see where things went. 
because even in my playthroughs, they've been pretty different, and I'd like to kind of revisit them. Um, but to answer your question, my last cop was a started as a boring cop, but ended up being an art cop toward the end. <laughs> I was getting my ready man. to put some uh, get trying to find the stuff to paint the wall, and then I uh, leaned heavily into moralism kind of the super centrist point of view the there's a, a great option that's like you picked moralist because you keep picking d all of these other options sound crazy as fuck <laughs> <laughs> that's uh, fantastic that's great who are you craig oh man so i only played through this truly in in one time i did start it once before and then maybe played like 20 minutes so i don't even count it uh, but one thing that Will brought up that I did want to hop onto before I move into my character was it is interesting that despite the plot getting to the same point, you even mentioned being able to do multiple playthroughs and see, have a drastically different experience. I think that's something that we'll come back to again and again throughout this is that like yeah. our own character sheet and the things that you do put skills into or focus on dramatically changes your interaction with the world which may not change the outcome but changes the perceived like activity well, as it does occur yeah and the outcome can be more different than you'd think from what, what i said too yeah all right that's that's fair so my uh cop was my harriet or harrier was very much in tune with the city so shivers was one of the skills that i put a lot of points into which i think had like the description of like raise the hair on your neck and turn tune into the city and then i also dove deep into like inland empire which was like dreams in the waking life and bringing hunches and different like imagination into the space as well as empathy and i think like authority to some extent as well. So a lot of the psyche was the main area that I dove into and then would add points elsewhere where I needed to for checks. But that was kind of the stuff that I would kept going back to listening within my head was like getting an idea of what is this place and where do I exist within it and letting that color the experience, which might have made it far too abstract for me in some capacities of understanding what in the hell is going on here because everything was spoken about in like lyricism about a place as opposed to what anything actually is all um, flavor yeah which Can... beautiful to listen to and read uh and very useless for understanding what's actually occurring one follow-up what was your approach on electrochemistry Oh, Ooh, good question. Great question. You guys do any drugs? I did not. I was a pretty like sober cop overall. Yeah, I was also fairly sober too. I told you to do I told you both to do drugs in this game, but I think it's hard to tell a first-time player of a game like this to do drugs. Yeah, I think the one piece that I was going with because this isn't a style of game that I naturally gravitate towards was always like I want the content to be as interesting to read, so if there's pieces that are fulfilling that portion of it for me then like that's where i'm gonna go into looking back at it i was like i kind of wish this was what a 25 hour ish game somewhere in that range um i kind of wish it was like 12 because i would love to go back and go 
like hog wild on being like yeah super my, like communist or go into drugs or other stuff of that nature on my super physical playthrough i was getting into a lot of drugs and using them for their stat bonuses and, and figuring out how to like optimize that way um that was kind of interesting but yeah kind of like you're saying when i became more focused on what the heck is going on here drugs seemed like it would get more in the way than be helpful yeah um it is one of those places where when you're trying to choose your characters going to be and again like i'm not a heavy duty rpg player i usually don't head in these games like i want to craft my experience it's usually i'm going into it for an experience that is being told so thinking about that and now having done this once i'm like i kind of wish i would have played further outside the lines of going into weird places that i don't think i would have gravitated towards you can speed run and the cool thing about this game being so successful is the final cut clears up a lot of early roadblocks from people that went way outside the game path so there's been like a second pass and a lot of the final cut was cleaning up people that were speed running and like just truly going the wrong way okay so interesting it's received an unusual amount of polish for handling bizarre choices now huh um i All played right. this Who once are you yeah before the final cut i was pretty much exactly what you'd expect i flirted with hobo cop but became art cop with an actual art degree um, I was a teetotaler, did no drugs. That happened. I don't. Uh, yeah, I think I did. Sorry, and I on. had one of both the physical traits, one point. So I was extremely close to dying at all points and without drugs. That's actually, that gets kind of hard at points. And I think if I recall correctly, I ended up giving up that in order to like make it through things that happen in late game because I needed like, it was like, I got to survive. So I think I like, Started taking, I forget what, just to survive. Let's see what else. Yeah, when I started the game, I didn't know anything about it, and it was right at launch, so I didn't have too many things to kind of guide me. And I put all, I dumped all my points in Inland Empire. I didn't really realize Shivers achieved something very similar until mm. kind of later in the game, which is kind of the thing that lets you sort of communicate with the Phasmid, right? Like. Well, I guess that's also Inland Empire, which has yeah. interesting narrative implications, by the way. Does that mean the like bug is really a conversation with yourself? Uh, yes, I think so. Like, actually, okay, well, we should, we'll come to that when we do, I guess. I, well, I don't know if the bug as much as um, Dolores Day is a conversation with yourself, but again, we'll get there. Oh, did you actually get that? A conversation with Dolores? Yeah. I got a conversation with... My ex-wife presenting as Dolores. Yeah, so I I didn't know that was a thing until this week. Oh, yeah, that was a really interesting conversation, but it was definitely, and it was in like this weird dream world. Um, Yeah, it was just. Yeah. I I heard the name Dolores Day. Confusing your ex-girlfriend with the Christ and Mary figure is pretty great. Yeah, and then like you essentially give yourself permission to like move on in life. Um, You, isn't, don't you like... Doesn't it present as kind of a boss battle? Like you're trying to like win her back, aren't you? And you end up yeah. failing. Yeah. Like in some ways that feels like a the big boss of the game. Boss, boss battle. Yeah. And I was like, I didn't even get that. Yeah. So to Will's point, the, the game can be presented in multiple different ways. Yeah. It's interesting that 
this is the only game I can think of where the events might be the same, but the flavor's different, and the flavor being different is like pretty darn significant. Yeah. I just wanted to mention one last oh question. Um so one of the last things I did was get the gauntlets. Oh yeah. And during my physical playthrough I almost got the shoes, the cur- cuirasses, whatever yeah. they were. Yep. Once I started looking at like what the gauntlets did, I look in the UI, there's a like an ammo. Like how as I'm looking at this, I'm like Something serious like must happen here. As far as I know, the only shot that I ever took was shooting the guy down, uh, which I managed to successfully do twice. Apparently, did you um, really? That's yeah, amazing. Shot him down twice. Right. Yeah, I definitely failed that. So, did you get your case file like early? Probably did the Pretty autopsy early. super early. I didn't get I did that done until like day once. four or something. Okay. Yeah, I did the autopsy on day one. Yeah, and I- shoved him into an ice crate. Which made me nervous about my second playthrough or in the uh, uh, freezer in, on day one. Um, wow. <laughs> wow. All right. So, in yeah, some that ways, playthrough was, was uh, intense. Yeah. yeah, I guess what you just tear the dude down, put him in a crate, and you're like, all right, and what's I figured next? out there, it's 9 15 in the morning. And we did the field autopsy. I, I think you, remember, you may or may not remember that. I do. I was stressing over the phrase field autopsy. Like, ooh. <laughs> It was pretty nasty. Sorry, but what I wanted to come back to was there's all kinds of indications that you're like having shootouts and fighting with people. And I guess you guys described a shootout-ish kind of thing at the end. Like, how does that even work in this game? You can go in dual wielding to that fight. Yeah. Um, There is a showdown when... Uh, okay, so world events, right? There is a labor strike occurring, right? And scabs have been brought in. And the mercenary that was murdered was in town to kind of keep a handle on the situation. Um, we can kind of talk political theory in a little bit about the implications of this. But basically, the the labor the labor union like uses the murder to like look strong, right? To remind everyone that they kind of control the town. But unfortunately for them, two other mercenaries roll into town and just start shooting everyone. Because they're essentially immune to the law. So when you come back from that second area you just got to, you kind of, things go down and you kind of come back and there's a shootout occurring. And unfortunately, the outcomes of that are relatively fixed, but a couple things can go down. Kim can get shot there. Like you having those guns, if what you were hoping for is like, are there, can I use guns to resolve conversations? No, <laughs> but there is one event where having guns and ammo will help you. Yeah. And armor. Like I think that that there oh, is yeah. an ammo counter just yeah, that's blows weird. my mind, right? Like you're not like pointing at things and shooting on the screen, right? Correct. No. It's Never. all okay. still conversationally resolved and it just affects your stats. But you do take multiple shots, so the number of bullets is like relevant in that sense. But can't isn't the maximum yeah. you can take like two, I think? I'm not sure. I don't I I did have a gun at that point, but I never recovered my gun, so I went in without it and tried to converse my way out of that, and that's why both I and Kim got shot. <laughs> did did Kim die? Um, I don't know in if your... he died, but he was out for the count, and I finished the game with Kuno as my you partner. You did finish with Kuno? Oh, my oh God. fuck I, him. Yeah, which I... is incredible. He gets, 
like so, shut down the oh, game. Oh, in, like, in, fuck that, this. in the out. final scene, after everything goes down, he actually gets admitted a year early to like their version of the Boy Scouts to join the police force. Oh Jesus! Fuck off! What? It's kind of great. Kid. He becomes he becomes <laughs> sort of sweet when he's out there with you. Yeah, I, I actually it's a it bummer. Might not help that his voice acting is just incredibly obnoxious. It'd be no. interesting for you guys to see Shut the end because his character actually like becomes really interesting in the end. And I f- I forgot until I was watching a bunch of media this week why I was so judgmental of you guys being annoyed with Kuno until I was like, oh yeah, of course, because I've seen like Kuno's character arc, which you only see if you have one specific ending. Yeah, that's interesting. Otherwise, yeah. he's just kind of an annoying brat with an abusive father like there's like reasons that you're so like understand it doesn't change how he presents yeah he's very well i'm actually don't think kuno's annoying but kuno s is annoying yeah right because kuno s, kuno s is, is really like annoying. controlling so when kuno becomes like a character on his own away from kuno s it's actually not it's like almost a different character mm. i was considering like, getting up the empathy to try to talk to him that was kind of one of my next yeah, he becomes kind of a sweet nerd. Like he's really excited when you see the phasmid. Um, he was trying to use the camera to take a picture of it, but he messed it up, and he like really was apologetic for that. And like in the end, when I try to tell everyone at the final reporting that I saw the phasmid, there's no proof, and everyone's like, "Okay, whatever. Like get the fuck out of here." I did also see. I'm assuming the two other officers from your. Um, precinct show up. Oh, yeah. yeah. They're freaking cool. They and are. And want nothing to do with me. They do not. <laughs> no, they really do not. Great. What's funny is Kuno's like cringe gets played off at the end when the picture doesn't work. You're like, there was a Fazbit, I swear. And everyone's like, no, there wasn't. And Kuno's like, yeah, there was. And everyone's like, ugh. Now we definitely <laughs> know there isn't. And you're oh, man. like, oh, there was, though. My picture did work. So I had actual proof that the Phasmid existed. That's great. Okay, let's get in some big picture thoughts. This game seems political. Why? <laughs> you don't say it. <laughs> what makes this game seem political, and why is That's it more part political of what than turned me off? <laughs> Will hates politics. Who wants to lead this? Did did let's. It's less the politics that I don't like and the political theory that I don't like. It is like political theory. I, I don't know. It, Would you have preferred if it was bit. just like an anti-Trump game with no political theory? Oh, here. Let me ask. Here's here's a part I didn't get to. That's the question I had a second ago. Everart's the leader of the company. The labor union, right? Okay, so who's the leader of the company? Uh what company? The shipping Who company? Who are these labor com- laborers laboring for? They're a part of a union that's for the dock workers, like a dock workers union. And Everett, I but think, I, is the... Ideally, you have a union that's negotiating against a company, right? Or companies? Is there no representation for... Are these union people like they're opposing still... somebody who's not even in this game? Like, the Wild Pines group is, like, the main... That's who they're opposing, do they, right? Yeah. Do they operate the port? Yeah, so they have just, to deal with know. the yeah the industrial harbor, right? And the Wild Pines group is where Joyce Messier is, like, the company rep that's there, right? 
She's the rich woman on the boat. Yeah, that makes sense. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. So that's who they're against. Yes. Huh. What do you, what, what? I mean, it, the, the power dynamic seems really backward, but then of course that is this game in a nutshell, right? Like, okay. If we're talking like, United States politics, right? You have some big company. I, I, let's just say, for example, Amazon. And you have a bunch of people who are all trying to form a union. So you bring in some external, oh, this is my union builder rep person to build a union, right? And like, mm-hmm. oh, bringing in somebody from out of town to like form this union. But this is kind of backward, right? We have a super strong union that already exists and we're going to bring somebody in to form the company that these unions are union people are working for? No, the the company Wild Pines Group already existed and runs the thing. This is like the third time that they're going on strike and striking against the group for further concessions. Like the Amazon is the Wild Pines Group. They're like the consortium that runs the harbor. Um, also, this isn't an American game. I don't think this is set in America. I mean, very, very much not. Yeah. Right. But like this whole, this is part of why this is all so confusing to me. It's like, I don't know who the players are and and who. So, and Everett Clare is like the head of the union. Like he's the one like representing the dock workers against Wild Pines Group and... Um, and whoever was there like, originally as like the negotiator for trying just to get them to back to work. Understand that in this world, all these people are working for the dock, but the dock has no like company management presence at all. The Wild Pines yeah. Group owns the dock. The Wild Pines Group is the company. But like that lady just comes in on a boat she's not there yeah i don't think we meet anyone like it it's sort of underrepresented but we hear about it like it's not like she's the only thing also is the super rich light bending guy from light wild pines or not which guy was that oh this is like the you didn't like if you manage to get inside one of the shipping containers there's like a force of light in there that you can't look at. Just what? Super rich light I was guy. talking my way into there. My next <laughs> oh. skill was I have uh. like I have like twelve points in the in uh, uh you have to like logically talk your way into that shipping container and I had twelve points and still hadn't made it. I was... That's amazing. Um, um I, I forget what thought cabinet he gives you, but you can't even like look at him. He's like he's so rich that you can't even look at him. That's how rich I am. But yeah, so like the union also operates as like a crime syndicate more or less, right? And like they're trafficking drugs through the port and things of that nature as well. So there's like it's a whole thing happening there. I just a second, since neither of you met the um, the wild light bending guy, official name mega rich light bending guy. Rostam Diodor is a multi-billionaire speculated to be in the triple digits, residing in a container in the north in the container yard. 
He has an incredibly high net worth due to inheriting an enormous sum from his grandmother and proceeding to invest it with an economic coefficient of over 0.96, at least between him and Harry Dubois. He's traveling on the cheap with his entire container shipped from one point to another in order to prevent being subjected to targeted advertising for luxury items. Due to his wealth allowing him effectively no problems, he believes that material goods are not as important as mental space and time. So this game's version of like ultra richness is like you just don't even care about material wealth anymore, which is kind of interesting. All right. So back to the game being political. There yes. was something that Nate, that you and I talked about separate from the podcast that resonated strongly here, which was like the idea of the imperial core. And I think oh, that's man. like what flavors this space. Can you elaborate on that for the listeners and Will? Well, well at fear of triggering Will, who sounds like he doesn't <laughs> like political theory, the imperial core is this idea political that theory. in markets post-1970 at the onset of neoliberalism, there ran out of... We we stopped having the ability for all places to benefit equally from capitalism around 1970, and that's one of the things that defines neoliberalism, is that the world bifurcates into the imperial core, which is areas that directly benefit from capitalism. I'm dying watching the, Will's response to this. The periphery, which is destined to be more extracted from than and can benefit from the effects of its extraction, right? So in some... The whole thing... <sighs> Uh, you got America, save from the encyclopedia. From yeah, and you've got a <laughs> like still set. Yeah, yeah, I got it. That's right. <laughs> the imperial core is the place that benefits from capitalism, and the periphery uh -huh. is what does the not. West. So gotcha. you can have the West as the imperial core, but more than that, like America Wait, is the isn't imperial the core. The core. But well, well, we're talking in human world, although Ow. yeah. But also, America has parts of it that are the periphery too, right? Like West Virginia may be in the imperial core globally, but it's certainly oh, I not thought in America's. Meant, I thought he meant the Wild West. Oh, no? yeah, like Wyoming? No. Yes. Like cowboy times, the West was the... No, I mean the Theoretically, the part of the United States which the didn't Soviet Union benefit the West from the... Yeah. And ignores the South of both hemispheres. Okay. Yeah. So... In this game, um, from a political theory angle, Kuno represents the periphery. Kuno is outside of the imperial core and is being extracted from. His parents are addicted to drugs. He has no means of success. There's nowhere for him to go in the world, even though he is kind of... I mean, I think also Jamrock is kind of... I forget my specific place names. Jamrock is the city, right? Or is it the, like, state? Oh man, I think it's the like state. I was gonna say uh, county. We should, so. we should try not getting too tied up in specifics ge yeah. geographically, but basically, Disco Elysium is like a game that's taking place in something at the margins of the core and the periphery. And what's if Kuno represents the periphery, then what represents the imperial core are the mercenaries who show up as the colonizers. There's no law applying to them whatsoever. They can shoot whoever they want. They destroy the labor union. Like, when you get shot, as you fade out, you hear the sounds of the Hardy Boys and everyone else getting shot, like, to death by many gunshots. There's no consequence for these people. And that's kind of a political commentary on how the West interfaces with regions that are not in the imperial core. So that's 
some fun economic and political theory. Yeah, and even when you're starting this out, right, and you're like moving through the world, this is a world that's clearly been at the end of revolution or wars, right? There's like still bullet holes strewn across this, like the city is in like tatters as far as there was clearly military operations and areas bombed out that were never recovered. And also there's like no hope of it seeming to be recovered, right? So yeah, the revolution failed. Yeah, like the revolution failed and also no one's coming to like help pour money into this area either. And even when... You break into a 26-story building that's only got four floors. Yeah, (laughs) exactly. And there's even an opportunity later in the game to like help like modernize a portion of like the old fishing village and it's all played out essentially as like this is not actually here to help the people here like this is a way to try and enrich some of the coffers of someone that's already wealthy but like this isn't going to actually help the community in any capacity which gets back into that imperial core it gets back into like this is like a, a helpless world to live in and what does that say about the politics of that region or that sort of worldview when that exists? So, yes, I think that's very well said. Will, do you have any questions before we move on? I have a, I have a related but embellishing thought. So many. I don't. Yeah. <laughs> it's a fine. Go on. <laughs> We're going on a journey well, here tonight. Or Will. Um, <laughs> I think. When we're thinking about what makes this game political, I think the top level answer is it's using gameplay mechanics and its words to comment on political structures and systems that affect the world that we live in as the players, as well as the NPCs in the game, right? So I think that's the like answer. It, I think that's, that's a piece of it. I think the other place here is that the game seems more interested with understanding the world and what what has occurred within this space to be able to set up the circumstances that take place than it does about any character within the game, right? Yeah, I think that's a really good way to put it. I think what sets it apart for me so drastically is that the game is about the systems that interact with people in the world, not how the people interact with the systems in the world. Well, that's good because I was just going to challenge you. What you were basically saying before, like place setting is what makes it political. And it's like, so like a Brandon Sanderson novel that's like extremely interested in establishing a world is political. No. But hold on before we answer that. <laughs> Will, uh, I got the results of your thought cabinet thought here. Oh, man. Um, and it just says this. It's a little tonally unusual for the game. You have really great determination and dance form. And I'm proud to have seen you grow all these years from Salsa through West Coast. Your determination to always grow in skills is amazing. Now, this has the following oh, effects. Sweet. Plus one hand-eye coordination. And the text there is, gotcha. You got a plus two pain threshold. Can't feel my feet. You get a minus one esprit de corps, dancing the night away. And a minus one on rhetoric. Let's just dance it out. It's <laughs> perfect. Yeah. Fantastic. Congratulations. Thank you. Yeah, unfortunately, uh, you no longer have a... I, I didn't mean to set it up this way, but unfortunately, you no longer have a plus two talking about Disco Elysium. <laughs> <laughs> so Craig's got like a 15-minute bonus here. Woo. 
All right. Uh, so you're saying basically, Craig, that the I don't think it's about the place that setting up the systems and their influence on the uh, the region's inhabitants is political. Yeah, and even like the economy of the world, right? Like that has a political undertone. Like that exists for a specific reason and has reasons on how it came to be. And a lot of the game is about exploring your knowledge of like why is the system set up or rigged against these people in certain ways. And it's all because of some sort of political machination as far as how the world has like come to exist within the power structure of it, right? Like that's what what I think sets that apart because it's about it's about those thoughts much more than it's about like, hey, how do you feel about this thing, right? It's like, no, what's this thing that has been set up by people pressing into you? What do you think from what you've played, Will? You mentioned that it's like sort of, it sounded like a negative implication of the amount of political theory going on. Is that what makes it political to you? Um... I, hmm, hmm. I don't. I don't feel like I'm. Uh, hmm. I think that here. Here's something interesting that I was just looking at the uh, political alignments for this game. All on the the list of political alignments, of which I was kind of surprised that um, ultra liberal ultra liberal is the only like capitalist alignment that I saw I, I could have sworn there was going to be more um but this has a list of organizations that align with those political alignments and so i think that's quite interesting and as i'm seeing this i'm like oh yeah that kind of makes sense and i can kind of see how the players might align based on their ideology and it kind of fits the way i um i picked you know i was mostly playing as the moralist um or organizations include the moral intern which is kind of the overall mega um the the illuminati kind of people i guess maybe something um but more importantly the second one is the the uh citizens militia so the actual cop group so i was playing as a, a cop that believes in cops and it like fits perfectly but yeah i thought that like being able to understand how these groups uh generally associate with their political ideology understanding how and who they uh, interrelate with seems like had I had a better innate or um, innate natural grasp of these concepts, I would have had a much better time understanding the kind of interrelationships between all of them, but being able to like see it on paper, come back, have a now with my retroactive, somewhat retroactive perspective of like oh these are the the people that uh, care yeah it just i don't know it kind of all seemed too complicated at the early stages that i keep being in i think craig mentioned earlier the the idea that maybe i told him about or maybe he this just happens in life there's a lot of media that throws you into stuff there's no you're not supposed to have an onboarding path where it explains it to you. You piece it together by being overwhelmed for some number of hours until it starts to make itself evident through 
the things. And I think it's a, it would be frustrating to play this game and think that you're supposed to get it all from the beginning. I've probably got 20 hours in. When am I supposed to get it? <laughs> like, I, I don't think it's by playing the beginning multiple times. I think it's by getting to the end and seeing what the game is like thrusting at. Yeah. How long was this game supposed to have been? Like 25 hours. Hmm. Ish. Somewhere in that range. But obviously that's super variable depending on conversation and how much you're talking to people and what you're trying to mainline. But I do think there is something about... There's like some combination in that to me where one of it is about just being overwhelmed by it. Another piece is at a certain point you start being able to at least add context around it of like, oh, okay, we're talking about income inequality. We're talking about the way that uh, racism presents within this space. We're talking about systemic oppression. We're talking about these sorts of concepts. And once I was able to start to wrap my mind around oh, okay, these are the things and this is how they show up in this world and this is how it's like impacting the different people that persist here, that's when it started to click separately for me than outside of it being like, oh, I need to understand specifically what these actual terminology or places mean within this game. Yeah, I think this is a better better example of the point I was trying to make earlier, badly, I'm sure. There's stuff like, None of that racism, racism, right? You run into yeah. at least three or four people early on in the game who are explicitly racist. Yeah, and one, fortunately, the game calls out specifically, "Hey, this dude is being racist," because some of the ways in which they're being racist aren't obvious. Um, the the one guy says, "Welcome to Raven." Welcome to Ravenholm. Wow. The crossover of the year. Oh shit. How we ended up in Half-Life again. <laughs> Fuck. Yeah. Uh, as we always do. Welcome to Revishall, yeah. I think. Revishall. Yeah. Yes. And that is a racist phrase. And then they kind of go and explain why that's a racist phrase. And then like I I don't understand what the races are in this game. Um, I don't understand I think I think that an Indo tribe is a race, I or ethnicity. Oh, uh, uh, like, like, go ahead. No, I was just gonna say, like, I'm not fully sure either. Yeah, I. Yeah, there's like ancestry that's like brought up about where people are. Like, it was like an extra well, level of complexity that. I don't know, you guys tell me if it pays off, but it doesn't seem like if they would have just picked races, um, like maybe it becomes more fraught in trying to put a game out if you have guys who are like specifically racist against the Asian community, Indian community, uh specifically all of a sudden the the like specific cultural context against being um, you know, something of this world. Um, but like needing to pick entirely or to generate these new races and not being not being words that sound like races like it it just becomes confusing in a whole other way um yeah there is a a much higher like mental hurdle to continue to place that in context of oh you use this word and you're like oh shit that word's racist in the context of this world 
right? So it's like you have to learn where those are presented and then remember, oh, okay, this new word isn't a location. It's not a concept. It's not a person. It's a like racist um, like phrase being hurled at someone. And sometimes the context can be subtle enough that it's just like that implicit version of racism, right? Like the unconscious racism that gets or bias that gets thrown into different places there where without you knowing like that's what's happening, I think there's just extra work that you have to do there from a mental hurdle to cover that. I think we're slipping down a bit into this game has obviously made a choice to be a piece of media that is um, if you're in it, good luck figuring it out. So there are there are books out there, right, that unfortunately, yeah, literature we have to pull on here because gaming doesn't really do this a lot. I think gaming is very entrenched in the, if I'm going to throw you into new stuff, well, I better do the work to get you there. But there are tons and tons of books where you're thrown in the deep end. And those books are often commentating on our real world, but are choosing to remove that from you by one layer for reasons that I would say oftentimes aren't like they don't pay off, but they make it more fun to a certain kind of reader. It's an adventure to read them. And I think yeah. that Disco Elysium, to your point, yeah, Will, think... using race in this game is interesting because some races get compressed and others are expanded according to whatever the game needs to do. And I'm, I kind of have a few uh, thoughts on race and the way it uses specific races here in a minute that are interesting but like it's a fair thing to call out but i think this game is making the choice to keep these things like one layer removed yeah yeah it's I, less a matter of like it, it it all depends on the context right if you're watching a 20 minute tv series and the whole point is that you're lost and you can be completely lost for 20 minutes that's completely fine if if I'm reading a 5,000-page book and I'm supposed to be lost for 4,000 pages of that 5,000-page book, that's a completely different ask of the um, consumer. And, like, in some parts I get it, particularly because of the way I played this game. Like, you want to save stuff for somebody who's into encyclopedia. You 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 need to have some payoff for them. So everybody else is inherently going to get less information so that encyclopedia does pay off. Like, they, they built a skill around having some way to explain the context of the game. Like, I, mm, I just, I, it, 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 um, not a fan. That's all. It's like, yeah. I mean, it's just like the authorial intent is, is to create that space. Like, it's going to work for some people and not for others. I do think it pays off. I mean, Craig, you're the you're the middle every man in this situation. You were surely overwhelmed at the beginning, right? Did it pay yeah. off for you? Did this all become more clear? Uh it it did. I didn't think that it needed to get until the very end for it to become clear. And I don't know, and there's still places that aren't clear. I also kind of got to a space where I thought that that was intentional, that you weren't supposed to be able to neatly pack it up all of these thoughts and put them into a box and i thought i was like maybe that's part of the history of who created this game is that it wasn't neatly packaged into concepts and into themes that end up with like 
you know, are bowed and tied off, right? And instead there was like, there's just like things happening in the world that like you can't really place or that don't really have space to be explored. But there was also, I, I think I just had a belief that if I looked hard enough or if I were able to explore some of the other skill cabinet thoughts or just other pieces there that like everything felt like it had grounding to be fleshed out whether or not I had actually explored it enough to be able to get to that point right so there was like a trust built up that the depth does exist there if you go out and find it um and that's one of the places where I did see some sort of payoff there but in a completely different way probably it it didn't leave me feeling like oh I get it, but I left feeling like I understand what they're trying to do and I respect it. Can I add a quick counterpoint to myself? Sure, counter yourself. There's um a lot of interesting stuff in the visual style, particularly in the art around the thought cabinets that is just so like complex and like. There are these super weird, detailed, yet also abstract representations of these complex uh, thought constructs that, um, like, they're great representations of that same kind of thing you're talking about, where it is both visually kind of trying to give you an idea of what's going on, but also leaving all these gray areas for... Um, it is hinting at excessive complexity to make you feel like if you just kept digging, you would understand more and more of this world, whether or not that's actually true or not. Yeah, which is a, like a piece of advice. I don't know if advice, but that's a characteristic of a lot of great writing, right? Designed to make you think that there's a lot more there, and even if it doesn't need to tell you it. Yeah. Um, I think this is just the first time I've seen it visually um, that yeah, I that, thought it was worth calling out. It, that is interesting. That's where this feels different in a game. I yeah. think that's the big piece that I'm like, oh, this this showing up in this medium like is why I wanted to talk about this game because it's that's one of the pieces that truly feels different to me where I'm like, we're so used to just being spoon-fed, like here is the thing. Like, here is what you understand. Here is how your game, here's your play and how it interacts directly guys. with here this thing. Yeah. This is the challenge. Yep. And sometimes yeah. there's gray area to be explored there, but usually not in the way of like a tome of text can present to you. I think visual media in general has a hard time being vague. It, like, yeah. It's, it's there on the screen. Right. It's very hard to pull off something vague in a visual medium that isn't just like, why didn't you tell me more? Whereas yeah, books, I think, excel at that. Oh, that's a really good point. That's Before we get point. to that, yeah, uh, Craig, I just got the results of your uh, white check here. Or your thought, <laughs> oh. thought, I'm sorry. And again, the tone is a little strange with this one. It says, you have great legs and calves and feet, and I'm so proud of your yoga achievements. And your overall transformation of health over your life and all the time I've known you is inspirational and fantastic. Now, the effects of that are uh -oh. plus one suggestion, he handsome, plus two volition, <laughs> not going to die yet, and minus two electrochemistry, <laughs> I'm going to bed. <laughs> Very well played. 
Excellent. I appreciate my white check. Yes. You know, I think I, I'm not sure if, in my mind, this makes is a makes sense as a transition point. Is there a Correct point me. that this game is trying to make? And I think that a lack of clarity is actually like one of the direct like statements and goals of this game. I I think the narrative and the way the narrative is delivered and even the mechanics to some extent deliver this idea that the past is intertwined with the present. There's no escaping the failure of the revolution, but yet we're here now. There's no other ways things could have been, but also like none of us really understand why we're in this situation. Things aren't really clear. So something I think is really cool about this game, I was really moved by the way it ends in talking to the Phasmid. And one of the reasons for that and I I just loved that and the game was over and I thought, wow, what a beautiful conversation. But the more you think about it, the more it's like, oh, I think this is what this game is talking about and trying to say. So, Will, this phasmid that you talked to at the end of the game has this idea that human thought is displacing the natural world and will inevitably result in its extinction. And the phasmid uses various aspects of control to like try to contain the human race and their thoughts specifically. And I think the pale is one of those tools that it uses to like keep humans from like extinctifying the rest of the world. He compares like um, human thoughts arrival on the planet to be like when earth gained oxygen and what that did to anaerobic life. And there's this really interesting idea it sort of suggests that he's been around for 350 years watching and taking some hand in the political events of Revachal and the whole region. And that... Why like, did you just say that time frame? Um, that's how long he tells you he's been there. I, I think it's kind of implied that there was something else before him doing this. I don't know. If, I, I don't know, though. Okay, I'm not sure. Sorry. Nor do I know how long... Like, I don't really know about the deep history of this region. Like, how long has it been around? I'm sure that some of the encyclopedia would have told me that um there's this idea that the revolution he's he talks about having seen the revolutions come and go and it's like all of humanity's locked in a repetitive cycle of like ideas and it kind of seems like he's kind of the reason the thing that's keeping humans in this cycle and i think so much in my like personal life as nate about like the future the past i love history and the future and it's so beautiful to me that this game is like having these thoughts about some supernatural force like shaping and containing and playing some influence on it but it's also really vague like what does that actually mean what what is it doing i don't know but i i kind of think that that sort of reveals the hand of disco elysium as a game and as like a narrative piece i think it's suggesting that like no matter what you do or who you are it's kind of pointless because it's playing a part in a bigger picture of humanity as part of this cycle. That's partly because of itself, but also partly because of outside forces that we can't comprehend. Is it a theme that resonates with you or that you picked up on in your playthrough, Craig? Yeah, I was thinking about that. I, I looked at the pale, which was one thing that you mentioned as being almost like the pollution of humanity, right? Like that it was growing and continuing to like exist because humanity was like wrecking 
parts of the continents and things of that nature like that humanity being there like is inherently actually not a good thing for the planet um but it never is there a planet oh yeah planet's not the right word is it yeah the 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 space that has the yeah this the world of elysium that has seven continents divided by the pale Whatever so, that, however you want to phrase that. Did, did In, it exist before the pale? I don't know. That's a good question. There's something brought up somewhere that, like, the pale didn't, that stuff, the phasmid and things, it knew things existed prior to the pale, and the pale didn't exist until humans existed. Interesting. So, Will, in the nightclub, you discover that there's a hole up near the... Well, I thought it was which up near the Which is also a church. Yeah, which is also a church. Very disco. There's a two millimeter hole in the world, and that's said to be a portal to the pale. And that is growing as disco takes place in the church. It's like it seems to thrive on information and passion, which kind of suggests that, yeah, the pale is like the result of human thought and like grows and feeds upon it. Yeah. Oh, this is interesting. Uh, kind of looks like the ma- that uh, the Matrix Four scene. Yes, very disco. What was your original question? It, kind of where where did my interaction or my thoughts on the point the game was trying to make? Yeah, did I? I guess I had talked about this, like the lack of control being a central theme of the game, and I was curious if that was something you picked up on, or if I was just picking that up. Uh, no, it. To me, I started to pick that up within the context of our own lived history, right? That like the that people make decisions and set in motion systems that perpetrate some sort of like forward momentum. And while we may think that we're doing something different, or even um, I can't remember the man that's like standing guard after the revolution has ended and he's standing guard over nothing anymore, right? That like there is something about going through like the motions of, Hey, I'm going to make a difference in this space, but like your single contribution doesn't actually really matter in the grand scheme of things. And instead it's much more broadly speaking about like the world's going to exist and the people that like perpetrate that are also individuals, but also broader in ways that you can't fully comprehend or push back against in any meaningful way. And it's just going to continue to push things forward in a direction. And you might be able to like alter the course a little bit, but eventually it starts to cycle back on itself. Yeah. I've been examining kind of how, if you choose to be authoritarian, fascist and racist in this game. Oh man, where does that take you? It's a really good illustration of, this game doesn't have, and Will, I'm curious if you noticed this, this game doesn't really have strong opinions on anything you do. It sort of welcomes you with a strange mixture of earnesty and cynicism. Like, I don't think, I think it'd be easy for this game to have just made fun of everything that you do, and it doesn't quite fall into that. It's like ironic and detached, but it's not to the point where it's like, unable to be earnest. And this kind of plays out at the end for example you can declare in your final like report you can declare i'm a great detective and i'm a huge fascist and that doesn't really affect their nomination for your promotion as a cop like that it 
Now, like, and I think that no matter what way you play it, the game kind of treats you as equally, equally valid. So I guess to put that another way, like the game kind of like uses the same tone to refer to you. And I think Kim's a great example of the game being like neutral. You can be racist to Kim directly and it the game does have ways of chiding you. You'll take morale hits for your thoughts being frivolous and silly. Like the game does have an opinion, but it's not really interested in like punishing you or showing you your ideas wrong. Those morale hits only, well, from what I saw, they you only get those hits if they alter from your like chosen path, right? Um, there's a, I got there's a bunch a... of bonuses for picking moralism options because I was a moralist. I don't... There's a couple scenes where there's like one where you're sitting down with Kim and having a very open conversation. And if you talk, if you keep talking racist at him about his like inferior race, the game will like ding your morale for it when he says something calm and collected back to you and you like realize that he's right for a second, even if you're like fully devoted to racism. I, I think that that all plays up into this idea that it doesn't really. Like, this isn't a game that thinks you're going to make a huge difference in the world. And I think that that comes from, I mean, obviously, I'm not Eastern European. I haven't really traveled there, so I don't know that much. But I think that that does come a bit from this region's perspective on things in general. The In the Soviet bloc, you, individualism is not rewarded. There's not this belief that one person can make a difference, no matter what way you go. Like, you've got someone who's an absolute raging alcoholic, and you kind of just treat them with the same attitude you treat other people. I think that piece also, specifically was like the unique piece that continued to stand out to me. It was like, you're not like a super cop or anything. Like you're just kind of a bumbling idiot. Like, I yeah. Mean, if you like, claim to be a super cop, the game kind of laughs at you about it. Like yeah. it's a narcissistic delusion. It's not you actually being one. Yeah. I, I also want to say this is part of what makes Kim the freaking standout character of this game is his ability to, support you and like he'll call you on your bullshit but also like in front of other people he makes it seem like everything you're doing is like extremely calculated he my conversation with the rich lady right he was like egging me on he's like no no no, you need to be more wild and crazy like your normal self in this conversation and i was like yeah okay thanks kim you just like giving me carte blanche to pick the wildest, craziest options in this conversation. It was, yeah, uh, uh, he's so but, like, but yet he's also grounded while doing that, right? Like, you know, yeah, that absolutely. he doesn't want you to, but he's, st- yeah, it's just, it's fantastic. Yeah. It's like he knows that you, the crazy jam rock shuffle uh, detective, <laughs> is the tool that's going to be best used to solve this, and he'll use that tool even though he doesn't, you know, himself agree with anything you're particularly saying or doing. Like, it's, yeah. And the he's the game great. itself is also that way in the end, too. It's like a, as a second layer of that. Like, you can be, the game will let you walk all the way to the end, and it's it's not even going to hang you for it. It's just like, wow. You, you really did say that, huh? commit that, yeah. All right, yeah. Great. Yeah. Can you describe a vision quest or describe your vision quest? Well, I didn't have one because I didn't play the final cut. Oh, you and didn't play the final quote. Yeah. I did at the beginning, but didn't get very far. And they're hard to get too. They they're actually they take 
They added an additional level of skill check to get into them higher than anything that was in the base game. I think it's godly instead of legendary. So I it, did see a at least one godly skill check. In the non-final cut, there's no, you know how you have like capotypes and you have like moral, um, like your political alignment? Mm -hmm. The political alignment version was just not really there. You still had the same kind of commentary, but it wasn't quite as clear, and it didn't funnel you into quest paths like it does now. So you could still be oh. like a moralist or what? Holy shit, I did not know. Sorry. I... Yeah, go ahead. What's up? Tell us. I I did one of these quests. Tell us Great. about this it. This is how I super ended curious. up in a different endgame. Yeah. How you so... ended up in what? This is how I ended up in an alternate ending and like finishing the game and then being and telling you, I was like, oh, I rode away on an airship. And you're like, the fuck? you? Oh, yeah, I forgot that. And also, what the fuck? OK, go ahead. Tell us about it, please, please. Yeah. So I I didn't realize that this was it doesn't present itself to someone that has never played the original base game. Like, here's something different. Right. Like, here's like a different thing. It just came up um, through like a Are you ultra liberal. I was a moralist um, oh, okay. or like centralist. So it, uh, I think it was like day four. There's something that happens and like you go to sleep and you can start to pursue like a thought of central, like centrism and specifically. So I'm looking yeah, at the page. Kingdom okay. of Conscious is how we got to moralism in the first place. And I got that one. Yeah. Since there's a supporting project, Opaloid Receptor Antagonist. Does that sound familiar? Does sound vaguely familiar. So what ends up happening is that this is related to the two millimeter like hole in the church. And if you go through the quest there within the church to help out, there's like a lady that you're helping out in the church that she's like trying to get more information, trying to figure out like more data about what's happening here. And she wants to contact someone. Oh, man. I God, I wish I remember this better. You're trying to contact someone to share some sort of like responsibility that you have. And you have to go through like a bunch of different steps here to be able to like contact this overall government agency, I think is like more or less what it is. It may have even been just like overall what's happening at the harbor and like your responsibility is to tell a committee and they can decide what to do about it. And so you go through like a whole bunch of convoluted <laughs> tasks to boost your radio like antenna and being able to contact them which requires you to like go back to the church and then set up cables all the way from the church across the island to like the statue that's in the middle of all the trucks that you see early on like the you know the My big encyclopedia kind of helped explain one. that thing that's pretty cool yeah um that's like broken apart and like you're you essentially turn that into a giant radio transceiver and then you That's climb dope. on top of it as Harry and, like, are contacting the committee to tell them the responsibility here. And if you contact the airship successfully and get them to believe you, like, they will come and retrieve Harry and the game ends. Like, so you just, like, float away on an airship. Like, it, like, lowers a ladder and, like, you climb up the ladder and the game's over. And I was like, uh... What like mid-game? Yeah, this is like probably like, like day four, right? That's uh, amazing. It takes a couple days for you to do all of the random like errands that it has you do it. And it definitely 
I was just curious. I was like, what is this thing? And so like I went through and like was scaling things up specifically so I could pass these checks because I thought it was just part of mainlining the game. Um, and then when I went away on the airship and like the credits started to play, I was like, I am entirely unresolved with what the <laughs> fuck is happening in this world. <laughs> I was like, there's no, I hadn't solved the murder, the Hardy Boys, like nothing's happened there. I was like, what the fuck has happened? Phenomenal. Yeah. Two questions. One yeah. is, um, now I'm really curious when you played this game. June of 2022. Oh, so fairly recently. Post yeah, like six the months ago. New ex- uh, it was the final cut on final cut. PlayStation. I played it on PS5, full voice acting, all that type of stuff. So if then, that happened and that was a political vision quest, like how did that relate to your politics? Did that end... It was just all the way up to it. That was the vision quest. Like, or did it did it end with the final scene? Like that somehow like reinforced what political decisions you'd made. I mean, it mainly was like, hey, you don't believe in anything, so you're just gonna like give over responsibility to the committee to deal with it, and you just abscond from your responsibility to the world. That's a pretty direct statement the game is making, isn't it? Yeah, and that, it's like. Huh hard credits it's not like oh yeah you get to come back in like i ended up reloading a save going and intentionally failing the check so i couldn't so i didn't escape and then continuing on with the rest of the game interesting Man, moralism which is also the path that i was going down is both it's it's both extremely like the most logical, reasonable choice of going, what's going on, but also the most like assholeish, yeah. no responsibility choice at the same time. Like it was like you're almost an always on the sidelines because, like, yeah, you're just like I'm interested in hearing what all these people are saying, but also I don't want to be a communard. I don't want to go super far the other direction and i think i mean i guess it's a pretty clear statement like if you stand in the middle you're just going to get pushed around by someone else anyways so you should there's, probably take a stance somewhere there's one and, dis- description of it that's like a militant insistence on nothing changing it, it felt really in our world co- uh, politics very conservative right everything's better the way it used to be um yeah yeah i just well, conservatives also don't want nothing better. to change. They want things to change backwards, right? In this region of our like human world, like when political movements like move over you like tides, to to claim to be neutral and to like, but I mean, to me, and help me understand if I'm wrong, where I'm wrong, I guess. But that's kind of what moralism felt like to me, like. We have decided what our status quo is, whether or not that's, you know, who knows what who that status quo was good for. But we are now all of a sudden like militant in our um, insistent that whatever that status quo was is the thing that has to be the new status quo. And like there's a um, it says in the in the moralism at one point, it's like. We believe that change should happen very, very, very slowly. We should take <laughs> our time in changing. And it's like, yeah, I, I don't know. That It kind of felt like, to me, what our modern conservatism feels like. Um, 
and it's weird that I, I feel really weird that I got to that point of view, but yeah, it felt like the right one for me in the context of this game. I think the game is laughing at, like, even though the choices you make to end up moralist are like rational, I think the game frames it as you're not choosing a more interesting path. I said earlier that I think the game accepts all outcomes, but I think that is the one that it really like looks down upon. And it's interesting to think of what in the human world that's commenting on. Politics in parts of the world that aren't the West are very different. And it's interesting seeing what's going on with Russia and Ukraine right now as a little example, right? Like it's not normal for people to have strong political opinions because most people don't really feel like politics is one in their realm of control. Politics is something that happens and it happens to you and it happens to your countrymen. So that it, and I feel like this game kind of has that lens, but this game also like wants you to believe in something, which is kind of interesting because that sort of seems different than what I know of that region. Maybe every person in Russia has like a rich interior political theology about what should be. But it's my understanding that culturally what it's more like is that people just shake their head at what happens and they might wish for something better, but that's what they think they've got. Yeah, and I'm interested in how that kind of, like the moralist in this game is kind of the like the silent rational, but the non-revolutionary, right? Like you're not pushing towards any major change you're advocating kind of a common sense approach right yeah you're the one kind of constantly thinking about it and just saying it, like let's not it, go extreme in either direction and they're like you're not going to get anything fucking done then yeah it it's almost... interesting how in the american context where things are good and politics are fine like saying i don't want anything to change presents conservative but in the region good. where these people are from like advocating the status quo is tantamount to something quite different. I th I mean, maybe it's part of like them trying to push me away from moralism, but they make it sound like a, a militant choice to be neutral. Like, you will attack anybody who chooses to not maintain the status quo. And maybe that's something from their lived reality that just isn't relevant to us. You mentioned something that was really interesting there, though, that I hadn't, I don't know if I consciously thought about, which is by choosing the moralist route and saying, like, I want to maintain the status quo, like, I'm thinking about I want to maintain the status quo from, like, a white cisgender male perspective. Right. Which, within this world that I was role-playing within, right, like, maintaining the status quo fucking sucks. Like, why would I want to maintain that? And yet I continually made choices because when I was looking at the other ones, they were like, oh, these are extreme thoughts, right? But in actuality, they might have been pushing more towards equality or towards things that I actually do have a stronger alignment with, you know, personally and what I think, like, Harry should be fighting for. Well, imagine yourself in a situation like the Russian Revolution, right? If there's a bunch of ideologies being thrown around, you can say, I like the current order, but I'd like it to change a little bit. But when the Russian Revolution is in the air, saying that is sort of folly, especially in the view of what's going to happen, right? I guess in that moment, you don't know that. But when revolution's in the air, 
or when revolution's the only thing that can make meaningful change, you are kind of a coward to say, like, ah, we can make slow change. Well, slow change doesn't happen here. Like, only revolution happens. And yeah. that's interesting. That's not something we have experience with. That's not how we think, even in a generation of people that wants revolution. Although even within this game, when they're like, a revolution has failed, there's kind of something to be said there, right? That's like, oh, this thing's like been going on for 300 years and like, well, this will like exist that, in the way it will. Yeah, it almost thrusts you back into that cycle. Fits very well with this like Western American ideology, right? If you just vote... Things aren't yes. going to change a whole bunch, but, you know, eventually maybe we'll get enough people that we can get 2% more back from our taxes, right? Like, yeah, we want just things, we feel comfortable in our system, and if we just, like, push on our system enough, we'll again eventually get a change rather than, you know, something a lot more radical, anarchical. Yeah, yeah. I guess just your comments made me think about like what you're saying makes a lot of sense from our viewpoint, culturally and politically, but I don't think this game's authors come from that background and right. neither does this game like it, yeah. as it's presented. You don't, we shouldn't have to know about the author's background, right? That's a whole can of worms. But like in this world, if you're advocating for things to change slowly, <laughs> you probably don't have a full scope of what the world is yet because it's not fair because you're amnesiac and you just woke up. <laughs> yeah which and you don't yeah. know what's happening yeah but yeah no i think that That's as a message i think that that is really powerful right you're the game telling me hey your tendency to like think that everything is good and to continue to try and act in a way that everything is good and should continue to being the way it is doesn't make sense if you haven't taken a a full accounting of what the world is, right? Yeah, absolutely. And I think that's cool. You know, one thing that's funny about the political vision quests is that the the communist end of the vision quest is a bunch of guys in a laboratory experimenting with crops and they find that the one the crops with the strongest ideology grow the fastest. And the like <clears throat> Like, I can't, like, decide if that's, like, really funny. Like, I think, like, the game, like, in that ending alone, the game acknowledges that ideology makes a difference, but it also completely minifies, like, what difference that would make. It's laughing at communism while also, like, giving it some credit. It's, it's just, it's, like, really funny. That's that is amazing. I would be curious to know what all of the other vision quests are. I would well, too. They sound interesting. I'm, I'm curious, and I was gonna kind of ask this of both of you guys. You keep calling it a vision quest, but what Craig described it didn't sound like yeah, that what that phrase yeah. implies. So, so what are we talking about? They don't about call here? it a vision quest in the game. That's only what the game's marketing for the patch used to describe them. Yeah. And it does start off, like, I believe it shows up as a vision while you're asleep. Um, so I had, Like, it's like a thought pattern that shows up while you're asleep and you can choose to pursue it. So I had one dream that was weird, but I also had one point where I was looking at my book and passed out, and as I was passed out, it just said, Disco Elysium, and there were some options that I, or some spots on the Disco Elysium logo, 
logo that I could have clicked. Didn't what? end up what? clicking any of them. All right, wow. You guys, neither of you guys saw this, okay? No. Um, <laughs> what? It's our Elsa. Huh. You fell asleep reading the. Wait, what? Um, there was some concept which was so novel that as I was reading it, I fell asleep, or <laughs> you know, like passed out. And Kim was like, "Whoa, what's going on? You okay? I sh- you shouldn't have been thinking about these wild thoughts." Yeah, I I feel bad that I didn't actually click anything on the Disco Elysium logo. I thought thought like I died. Uh, yeah, I can see why. That's really funny. Yeah, it was weird. I for a second I thought that maybe something like that was what a vision quest was. That's um, amazing. It sounds like you guys that didn't see that. Makes huh? sense. Nope. Yeah. Didn't know no, that. Didn't know that, but uh, far more intense than that. Can I ask like, another question just from a worldview perspective? Yeah. Because my experience with Eastern European like content, movies, books, media, like is not broad, right? So this is almost an entry point, which feels like a deep entry point to step into. Mood. <laughs> like, here, here's hundreds of thousands of words and concepts and ideas presented from this frame of reference. But there is something else, like, The Witcher 3 exists, right? Oh, I was about to ask the same question. Good. I, I, and Which one of us, Will, have you played it to completion? No. <laughs> well, I have. I not even touched it. I am here for fucking a Craig seminar on how not The Witcher 3. Not even yes. watch the Netflix series. What I have also watched that. You haven't watched uh, the handsome gamer boy himself. Okay, whatever, Mister Mister Cavill. Yes, I didn't get any of this from The Witcher Three though. Like, I think not... we figured out our next game. I'm not playing it now. Then I was going to say the um, <laughs> the next gen version comes out in December. But no, I think. Some of this stuff does come up, but The Witcher 3 seems, I don't know, it just seems like it plays in a safer space. There's like, there's, it's much more of really black and white, in my opinion. And maybe I missed dramatic things. I don't know. Like, it's been years since I played it, also. There's a, I didn't play the, it's supposed to be a really good DLC about a vampire lord or a a vampire manor. That one is supposed to be good. I I, I didn't play blood. that. I didn't play Blood and Wine. Um, I'm but, a little surprised to hear this. I thought The Witcher was known it, for being more less optimistic, more grim, more nuanced. Oh, I definitely think that there's game. those pieces of the world that exist within it. But so yeah, so I think from a like perspective on the outcome of the world, it might have a little bit more of that bent to it. But it also plays with like more of like the folklore of the world, right? So there's like kind of an inherent playfulness that occurs in some of the side quests and things of that nature. And there's like people's more human scale problems that you're going in and like helping interact with, and there's things of that nature occurring. But when you're looking at like the political like machinations that are overseeing or overarching within that world. There's like, you know, kingdoms at war. It just feels very standard within that media, right? It doesn't feel like, hey, I'm going to challenge you on what your definition of like feudalism is. Like there's a lot of, maybe you haven't played this in six months and you've forgotten. There's a lot of comedy in this game. Like, um... And I well, can't remember any of it to bring it up, of course. But Paul, um, well, hold on. So I'm going to intrude with a like a a global the cultural feels human scale. This does not. 
Yes, the the Witcher also is from Poland, which is, I mean, I'm gonna get in trouble for saying that it's this different. way because it's Poland, right? But Poland was never a part of the USSR. Poland yeah. is a very rich cultural and imperial history. Like Poland was an empire. Poland is a much stronger self concept of identity. So it would make sense that. Obviously, you can't say because it's Polish, we would expect these things, but I'm going to basically right. say that anyway. Like, Poland is a very rich, like, folklore tradition. So it makes sense that if a Polish game were to happen, it would be playing in those spaces. Whereas an Estonian game doesn't, like, Estonia has its own history, obviously, but it its history is of being conquested and empired and things like that. That's where, like, the in- authorial intent of the Witcher feels like it comes from a place of power. The authorial intent of Disco Elysium yes. feels like it comes from a place of being subjected. Like, that's interesting. Those things feel very different in how they present their worldviews to me. That's interesting and really interesting. Uh, yeah, and it's also interesting. <laughs> it might it's interesting, be and interesting. interesting and interesting. Yeah, I... I made an interesting point there. Yeah. I... I mean, it's just interesting. Did you guys know that's interesting? It's um, fascinating. Because we're Americans. Like, what the fuck would it be like to have a national self-concept that's not one of being the dick? <laughs> um, like, we, our generation might be self-conscious about that, but we still have no insecurity and there's no outside forces that are really notable that move across us like tides. Of course, there's... Our language and our money is still dominant, which... And our culture. Like it, yeah, yeah. I I love media from places. It's so alien and weird to read media and be in a world that's about being subjected to outside forces. In this game, I think I I think that that's true for the majority. There are starting to be cases. Uh, people, you know, there are American perspectives that are not that. Um, yes. Oh, absolutely. Of like, uh, there are the... half of America, well, not half, but a large portion of America is not in power. Uh, it has been yeah, exactly. suppressed and subjugated say... for all of its history. Oh, but man. that's not who's making the media. Mafia 3? The whole... Oh, yeah. Yes. Um, yeah, anyway, there's a bunch of... There are Wait, starting did you play to Mafia 3? I have not. Also, that is I'm, like... Oh. I just vaguely understand the... Yeah. A lot of those people do have tremendous influence on the media in the form of music, at the very least. Sure. Yeah. But, Fair point. Yeah. Fair point. That's not to say they're not oppressed, but it's interesting how their voices are still heard in ways that then get... Anyway, I am disappointed to hear that The Witcher isn't a very similar game that is... Not disappointed. It's just not what, what I thought that game was praised yeah. for as being so different. I mean, you can also solve any of your problems with violence. In The Witcher? No. Yeah, that's, that's interesting how that itself anchors itself in like, power. Yeah, exactly. It's like the, the gameplay there overlaps with the story mechanics in such concrete ways. Yeah, interesting. Hmm. I don't know. I think part of it is... Again, I really wish that I had played them closer together. The Witcher, it does go into interesting spaces, right? And has interesting conversations about who is in power and things of that nature. But 
again, it gets back into like who should run the kingdom, not should the kingdom exist. Right. I think people praise that it shows darkness in a way that our media often does not. That's that's fair. I got some big picture quick hits for you. These are big thoughts, but I think we'll knock them out quicker. Whoever cursed the podcast by bringing up Tolstoy and his opinions on art <laughs> last time has graced themselves with a recurring segment, which is in Tolstoy's definition of art, it's only art if it's like a pure feeling conveyed by a creator such that any audience would understand. And I wanted to ask if art is a representation of a feeling, what feeling would this be? Despair. Despair. Is that what you wow. said? Yeah. Hopelessness. I think it's the preservation of humanity under like, under outside forces, failed revolution, state structures around you, economic forces that are way above you, and this like cryptid thing controlling humankind, uh, maybe. I want to read from the game. There's a point where you say, it does, yes, but what is art? And conceptual... Conceptualization pops in with excellent question. Art is a diverse range of visual, literary, auditory, and performative creativity. It is an expression of an imagination and technical skill. Additionally, it is history, criticism, and pure enjoyment. And it goes on from there, but that's the part I had. That's so great. Is it always is conceptualization always that earnest and straightforward? Um that does sound lovely. Yeah, yeah, that's nice. I don't feel hopelessness is not the right term. No, I don't think. Yeah, I don't think it's that negative. It's more of like no. a, a neutral that make that is so uncomfortable to us as Americans that it feels negative. Yeah, it's like it is. I mean, it's just very. It's like very realist. Is it? It's not a feeling. Like the need for change. But it's like also, the need, it's the for, need for change, change with, also with the recognition that you can't. Yeah, that exactly. You're not <laughs> that you're not able to influence it directly. It's a need that can't be that you ca as a person can't fulfill. Yeah. Yeah, I think that the. Feel free to continue reflecting on that in your conclusions. It'd be interesting if you come up with anything different or that is more nuanced than that. Um. Why do you think this game was made now? And also at all, why was this game made? I think it's because the creator has a D&D &D setting, and once you get a D&D &D setting, you just keep rolling. You just have to share it with the world as well yeah. in hundreds I've, of thousands of words. I've read at least three space operas recently that felt exactly like that. I'm like, how in... what? This is just this guy writing down his D&D &D game. <laughs> I think to offer some global political context, I don't know what Estonia is having happen, but a lot of the post-Soviet republics are falling into kind of the first tastes of nostalgia for communism and authoritarianism. The capitalism that was promised to large numbers of these countries like, has not meaningfully appeared, and new generations are beginning to wonder, like, would authoritarianism like bring us more than these things have brought us? 
Yeah. And there's kind of this examination of the past. But I also think people living in those situations are much more in touch with the failed revolutions of the past than we are. I'm so I, curious yeah. if that's true, right? Like, I don't know if that's true or not, but it does feel even here within our own lived experience that people are forgetting that like civil rights wasn't 300 years ago. It was like 60, right? Like it's not that long ago. And, but that didn't happen during our lifetimes, the host of this podcast and starting to see people, you know, the, the regressions and thoughts about those things. But also when talking about like this game being made now, yeah, there is something to be said about looking at it. And I, I guess that Imperial core concept is what comes back to my mind of being like, we missed the boat. There is no boat coming. And the next boat has already sailed. Like, now what the fuck do we do? And this feels like an exploration of that, of like, what do you do when you live in a town that's made of rubble and you know that there isn't another way out of it? I've been stuck on this thought ever since our last podcast when uh, Nate was saying that, like, oh, 30 years ago, somebody could have been you know, in their 50s, who was a peer, a contemporary of Pablo Picasso. And you're like, wait, what? How is I that? I didn't say that on the podcast, but that is wild. <laughs> it's just like history. As soon as you call it history, it seems like 300 years ago. Right. But there are parts of history which are almost within reach. Well, I yeah. mean, even like you look at like this game called disco right and like the disco era being in what like the 70s and roe v wade 73 roe v wade overturned 2022 right like that gap is not super dramatic no yeah it feels dramatic yeah it feels super dramatic you're like holy shit and yet like here we are it's like oh yeah let's just roll back women's rights it's like like people fought for that 50 years ago um and i don't know that that's like the closest contemporary that i can give to to something here as far as like when looking at this it just feels like a way to explore like what happens when these things that we thought we had learned from and that the experiences had been that you'd be like we're not going to go back to that space like what happens when you start to go back into that well, failed revolution certainly isn't just a non-imperial core phenomenon. True. Utopian ambitions of the 60s here got moving in the 70s and then all stymied out in the 80s and yeah. haven't really been seen since. In Britain, you have the summer of love and the other things in the late 80s and early 90s, but I don't think the West has really seen meaningful return to those kind of hopes ever since. Yeah. What the fuck's happening? I guess Eastern European. I, I guess you mentioned it, like the uh, the rise of authoritarian regimes or continued like. I mean, that's not specific to that part of the world either, though. No, but it's um, more specific there because when you're outside the. Well, I mean, to my earlier point, there are parts of America outside the imperial core as well, right? Basically, true. I think the point is here: the imperial core is growing stronger, are... the periphery is growing weaker. And anyone in the periphery at, at this point in our history is saying, wait a minute, what they're noticing 
and what they're thinking about authoritarianism as a solve for is the fact that the imperial core grows stronger and they see nothing from it. Yeah. When the wall fell and when these countries became capitalist, the belief was that they would be part of the imperial core. The reality is they're the periphery. And living with that dichotomy is something that I don't think us as productive, well-earning members of our world can quite understand, but it's easy to look down upon. That gap has widened also, right? Yeah, it's not, it's not, there's no turning that back, it seems. Yeah. There are places in the world, according to some travel, like ethnographies I've read, where it's being shown that authoritarianism does keep more money in the periphery than capitalism does. And that's disturbing. That's interesting. That's dark. They're, like, these conclusions aren't just wrong and stupid. These are parts of huge systems that are evil and not equal. And it's interesting to me that this game, I, I mean, the fact that it's even got us talking about this is amazing. It's cool. It does kind of raise the question, like, what's the future? If you live in a region like this, what can you hope for? Yeah, I am curious from the game directors, like the the guys that were building a campaign, like what were they looking to explore with these concepts within their own worldview as well, right? Like what, and maybe this gets into the piece that we were talking about earlier as far as we want there to be like a clean outcome of like, hey, you're doing this because there's like this resolution that you're looking to reach and that just might not be part of what's looking to be explored here. Yeah. Which feels really uncomfortable to me. Yeah, I think a lot of the people in these countries, if you think about like Central Asia, that are going for authoritarianism, these aren't uneducated people that are pushing for this. These are people that have traveled, have been to the West, have seen capitalism, and are fighting for it because they know that that same thing won't bring things to them. And that's dark. Yeah. So, yeah, I think in some sense the future for those regions might be, I, you would hope, some kind of revolution akin to what happened a century ago, right? Where we try new forms of government that are all about equality. But those revolutions turned into fascism. Yeah. Those revolutions were so, so thoroughly... And part of it's because our viewpoint in the West, right? We There's a clear narrative that, of course, communism becomes fascism. Might as well not even try it. And that's that's as much of a marketing thing as it is a reality, maybe. But it sure has set a damper on trying things like that again, even in a time where they're needed more than ever, and probably even more than they were back then. So I guess the practical answer is probably authoritarianism, but I, I, I kind of hope somewhere in the world like something new emerges and I hope that its outcome is better than the last time this happened. Right. But that history is within reach and there are people alive that remember how bad it was. And that really inhibits the options that people feel like they can have. Well, it's also without going too far into like getting way away from the media that we're discussing, like looking at things like UBI, like universal basic income or things of that nature, but like that's predicated on having a piece of the pie, right? Like you have to have money. So, and when that money is hoarded by a small amount of the people on the planet and used in other ways, like you lock out those opportunities as well. Yeah. 
I think the brutal answer is there's not a future. The the hope is limited to a way for us to make it by. So we can pull back from like extreme bleak existentialism, I suppose, <laughs> if you'd like. Yeah, how do we how do we how do we roll back from that one? Woof. Man, thinking about the Roe v. Wade and you know, I always think of that phrase, the moral arc of whatever always bends, bends toward... towards justice. Yeah. And it's you know, that's a like it's a a tendency, right? The um the stochastic, yeah, the, average. the average, yeah. And obviously not everything is going to happen that way. But man, that one's so hard to deal with for me. Like, Because mm-hmm. you know like the real pain of like seeing that on a human scale of like people are going to literally die because of that and people are going to be hurt and people are going to be like there's like true suffering that we will witness in the years between now and hopefully when that bends in the right direction. Yeah. That sucks. Anyway, sorry. Sorry to totally sidetrack us there. So one of the things that we haven't hit on throughout this entire podcast has been, there's no combat mechanics, right? Like we haven't talked about the gameplay specifically within this, that it's, completely different than most traditional rpgs where there is some sort of action that you're partaking in outside of conversation um and curious That's for your guys exactly what i was saying right before i died <laughs> <laughs> um i'm curious for your perspective on a dialogue driven rpg in this capacity that's almost it's almost akin to a visual novel with a 3d space that you can move through Versus combat-focused RPGs, Divinity, uh, Witcher, you know, other things that exist within that space. This one excuse that entirely. I definitely think this is combat-focused. It's idea combat. It's word combat. Well, okay, word combat, like, it actually does get into that only at a few key moments. But I think it is, like, it represents the combat of ideas pretty consistently. Like, there's multiple voices in your head that are like contesting against each other at many points in this game right that's a yeah that's a great point i didn't the, think about the the spot yeah. where i literally died um was a you know my conversation with everard and it was like this battle of wills and it's literally you and everard going at it like which one of us is going to back down first who is going to make the dumb move how are we going to negotiate ourselves into a better negotiating position here like there's definitely combat in this game it's just not you know it's not a first person shooter yeah and i don't think that's just uh like well actually craig like i think that there i think that like i this kind of combat that we're describing is kind of a first class citizen a primary mechanic of this game even in the same way that it is in rpgs it it's funny like they say in the marketing, like, it's an RPG, except the members of your party are all voices in your head. And that kind of makes it sound like it's a like a way of explaining something that's actually very different using a metaphor. Yeah. But, but, but I think that actually is exactly what it is. 
Yeah, that's actually pretty. That's a pretty bang on descriptor. I was going to say, except you don't have to like choose and bring in and out party members, but you actually do that too by equipping items, thought cabinets, specking up different levels. Like it, it's actually very strange how extremely traditional of an RPG it is, just with a few like, like the, knobs turned in. A different yeah, direction. The, the mechanics don't quite line up, but they're also exactly the same kind of. It has exactly the same amount of, like choice well that brings up something i was thinking about which is that like a lot of rpgs are designed to convince you there's choice at every moment like constantly reminding you oh right. you could pick this option or that option whereas this game someone's um, remember that cameron kunzelman yeah. on uh i think this was on mages and murder dads where they did a long form playthrough of this game in audio i think it's on youtube too but they were talking about how when you get to the end of this game, you're like, yeah, I saw the game. That's all there was. But because this game does such a fabulous job of convincing you that the choices you've made are like real, this game excels at convincing you that all the choices you've made are the correct ones, no matter how weird out there they are. It's got like full writing to back everything you do up. Yeah. And you only discover that there's a lot of other options by kind of looking outside the game, which is kind of the opposite of most RPGs, which have to kind of insecurely convince you that your choice matters. Yeah, a lot of this game, you there are a bunch of checks that happen behind the scenes that you only see right. if you pass those checks. Like, for yeah. example, Encyclopedia, right? If you have a high enough encyclopedia, Encyclopedia will jump in until you give you all these context about all these things that are going on. If you don't have enough high high enough encyclopedia, you just don't get that context at all. Yeah, it just yeah. literally it'll never present itself within the world. Yeah, the same with um, uh, what's the one you were talking about that's about the city? Like I never shivers. got any. Oh, of those. shivers. Yeah, where you're just like wandering around and it's like, hey, in 22 years, Revishal will be destined to be detonated by a nuclear blast or whatnot. Yeah, I um, never got any of that context it's a little too in any of the games with. I played. Yeah, so that I think that answers a bit of the question also of like, did this, should this have been a book or did this need to be a game? And like, yeah, that's such a fun a question. Meaningful, yeah, is there a meaningful benefit in it being having been a game? When when I recommend this to people, they're like, oh, you just like games with words. You should probably read a book. There's a lot of them. Yes, that's also true. true. <laughs> but this is yeah. way cooler as a game than a book. Like, it actually brings things to the table. Will, your comments about the art is, like, totally part of that, too. Like, the art here is, I mean, it's not only cool, but it's uh, ludonarratively syn synchronous. Yeah. yeah. There was a specific quest line that I thought was interesting that kind of gets into the world of us dealing with economics and capitalism. Uh, and... You mean the, the funniest thing in all of gaming? Yeah, I was going to say. So, Nate, tell us about the figure out how the world works quest line and how you complete it. <laughs> the fact that you learn how the world works only by talking to rich people is just really funny. Yep. That's all. That's it's very good. Well played. Perfect. What about Kim as a character? We let off at the top of the podcast talking about Kim being the goat of NPCs. What makes him that? Will, you kind of talked about this. What You got any more to elaborate yeah, on that? I think it's his um, 
he is both completely adaptable. He's like the ultimate wingman. Whatever you say, <laughs> he is going to be there to support you. He's um, got your back. And he's not only does he got your back, he's got your back in the perfect way. Like he, like he's a rock. He, whatever you're saying, he was thinking the same thing right before you said it, regardless of what you're saying. It, it, yeah, he's perfect. Even when you know he doesn't agree with you, he's like still in sync with you. That's absolutely true, which I guess is like the point of a partner, right? Like your partner should be, he can back you up. And then if you guys have a disagreement, go hash that out separately. But like in the moment, he's going to support you what needs to happen. He's beta and alpha. Yeah, he totally is. He's just like sitting next to you and you're like, oh, if Ken, if Ken like has something to say here, like we should shut the fuck up. Yeah. You, no matter how convinced of my ideology I am, anytime he talks, I'm like, hmm? What 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 does Kim think though? Yeah, yeah. Especially because of like how he presents throughout everything, where you're pure chaos, and he's like the ideal, like st- stable partner, right? He's just like, you know, you're whatever, you're drunk or high or whatever the fuck you're doing. Like even that, we're here to he work ad- our case. He attributes your chaos to the jam rock shuffle. Like it is a method that is so intense. That the average human cannot understand your chaos. But your yeah. chaos is not chaos. It's a like a you're playing 3D chess. Like he's in, um, attributing genius to your chaos that um, just makes it feel great. It's also fascinating how he's gay, right? Yeah. Or at least it's a. I, didn't I, catch that I don't yet. know if it came up explicitly, but it definitely is like clearly alluded to. Tell me more. It's not a reversal of any explicit trope, but I like that the straight person is like utterly chaotic and crazy, and the gay person is the absolute like rock of like unquestioned not authority, but like it's just got a shit state together. stability. That the straight man is gay. Well, yeah, that that's a whole quest line, right? Have you, like when you sit down and you finally tell him you're going to stop questioning your sexuality, and he goes, "I think that's great." Yeah, like, like it's he probably doesn't believe you, but he's just happy for you. It's great. I mean, it does get into a little bit of um, I didn't like the duality. That, uh, you'll run into yeah. that later. There's like a jacket. There's a whole thing. Um, the duality within our 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 current world also is in that same space where like racism at play within the world, right? And now, specifically since like 2016, white people have been like, oh, we should show up and be allies. And marginalized folks are like, about goddamn time. Like, we've been waiting on you. Like, what the fuck are you doing, right? So, I don't know. There's something about him just being a character that's like, yeah, sort your shit out. Like, you're the straight cisgender dude here. Like, cool, your sexuality, like, got it. We don't need to, like... We've gone through all of this already. Yeah, but he, uh, in that analogy, he's like the heroic figure that has infinite energy for supporting a clueless ally, right? Like, yeah. it doesn't seem to cost Kim anything when you completely fuck up any sort of, whether you're miscategorizing his race or talking about it to other people, like, no failed allyship costs Kim anything, which is kind of fascinating. He's the epitome of... Um... What's the the opposite of tos, toxic masculinity? I don't think there is one, Will. Um Is it this podcast co-hosts? There's um people talk about like The Rock, 
as being the opposite of toxic masculinity. Like, he is super masculine, but in a way that's, like, completely accepting and um, nurturing and inclusive. Like, um, I wish I could remember what the name of that, but that's kind of what Kim feels like in a... Not just masculinity, but like a, from a moral standpoint, like a, a completely accepting on a moral level. I was kind of talking about this concept of, um, and I've, I've found this like healthy masculinity. Um, people talk about like The Rock as being one of these guys who's like super, super masculine. And you're like, yeah, that's a fucking man, man ass man, man, man's man. But he's also inclusive, he involves people, he's emotionally uh, accepting of people, he can have relationships with strong female people that are not, um, like, challenging his masculinity. Like, Mm. that feels like what Kim is, but like on a moral level instead of a masculine level. Does that make sense? Yeah, it absolutely does. That's interesting. With regards to the writing style, did you find that the way that the actual dialogue was presented to be interesting or something that kept you engaged versus providing blocks of text? Like everything was almost like just quick hits consistently, right? It wasn't, there's not like a lot of like, here's so a, little, a book page to read. So one of the changes that I am aware of from the final cut is that all of the internal voices got voiced in the final cut um yeah. and i think that that was not true for the initial cut did that cause you any problems here or there nate no i hate full voice acting i would never play <laughs> the final cut the way it is released i think it's ugh. and that's, that's funny because i felt the exact opposite way yeah, I mean, readers um, having, would never readers never like full voice acting, right? Like, I hate voice acting in Fallout, know. like because I feel rude interrupting people because I read like thirty times faster than like. I hate playing a game where I constantly have to cut off voice acting. It sucks. I read probably about as much as you do on Audible, and right. I love voice acting. It is the no, epitome okay, of excuse me, text based reader, non audio readers. Yes, sorry, I don't want to bring that gatekeeping here, but. I think in this case, it is a different thing, right? So to me, that didn't affect it. But one thing I would say outside of my particular penchant for uh, abstract scribblings on dead trees is that um, I've heard that the each of the thoughts being voiced can actually add sort of a like a tonal interpretation in places where there was none before. So the example I heard on this was that Inland Empire is kind of sassy and sarcastic. And that that like might kind of like that that gives you like additional information that can kind of ruin that voice for you, depending on your personal like hopes or feelings of it. That's actually interesting. I didn't think about how that would present like how that would change my perception as how the voice was presented since I had only played it with voice acting turned on. It moves it towards the visual media, right? Where there's less and less, more of the work is being taken away from you, which is great. I mean, there's definitely some. But it makes it less interpretive. That is one of the downsides to kind of the audio reading as a as a medium in general. 
I I have just been thinking about that this week where um voice actors will add specific like inflections on a reading based on what is called out on the book mm. which makes sense when they do it but also it also eventually reminds you that when it's not called out in the book they are still adding some inflections that they have decided or like there's some like acting notes that don't show up in the text um like yeah it's a whole extra level that yeah does definitely does change the con- context a bit it's interesting cuz one other piece that I did find about the writing style for me having it oh man I hate it I hate this but it's almost like tweets and where they were like constant quick yeah. hitters I love that you brought this up yeah this is interesting yeah where to me it helped just keep the flow of the conversation and it helped it keep it feel conversational as opposed Absolutely. to here's just a block of thought instead it was like here like we're having an ongoing dialogue and it really made it feel like we're having a dialogue with yourself right that you were interrogating your own ideas throughout that i i don't think that would have worked with longer form speech bubbles yeah i mean you're hitting on something really fucking cool about this game which is that it makes like high-minded literary prose approachable in that sense, yeah, if you want to totally. like, if if you want to read fancy writing, go spec your character in Shivers and Inland Empire and just play along. You get one sh- one sentence at a time. Unlike, I'm pointing at my bookshelf. I've got tons of books over there. They're 800 pages long. Each paragraph is a full page. Each sentence is half that. Like it, it's there's something really triumphant and unusual about the combination of style and approachability here. And I, yeah. it's really cool you brought it up the way you did because I hadn't really thought about that. And, um, and I think that does present it in a way that is approachable to the masses. Like in a way, to your point, where if you were to just, even if it was twice the length of like what the average sentence is, like that would change the context of how you interact with the game drastically in my yeah. opinion. And like, the interface does a great job. Like all the sound effects, like just, like it's sliding on it all of it's really good yeah in a game that's kind of janky like that part is great they nailed that two two sides i think that the colors really helped um Mm. because there's four colors yeah yeah there's a lot yeah the ui has like layers in that way based on those four colors you're like you have a general idea of what what the context is of the the um conversation that's coming in I also think, um, I think there's too many skills in this game. I just, there's just. Yeah, that could be. Yeah. If things were compacted quite a bit, I think you would have an opportunity to um, have a better grasp of how much of the world you're touching with each of those things. Like, uh, especially, it's we like haven't six... talked about this, but but like replayability, I think, is really poor in this game despite how much cool stuff there is, like I've tried to go back and I absolutely love this game and I've tried to go back and it's like, eh, like I know Why all this is stuff. that? Why do you bounce off it? 
well, hold on. Now I do. Great question, but I do want to let <laughs> yeah, we'll finish. <laughs> yeah, I think it's just that there's basically 36 options for like what to put your skill in as you're leveling. Yeah. But also there's the the mental uh, the thought cabinets is another place you can put thought points into. So it ends up being it, it feels like there are like 50 different places that you can put a, a skill point into and so it's really hard to because it's so diluted the game itself can't like main make any one of those things be terribly important unless it does in which case like you have to push into the, yeah it there's just so many there that it makes the game um like i i feel like that one decision has made the game more complicated in a way that uh is unhelpful hmm. i don't know if i quite agree with that but I do agree with the idea. It would be interesting if they were less skills such that you kind of got a sense of like half of them on any given playthrough. And then oh. you could pretty reasonably say like, okay, one more playthrough and I'd see the rest. And I think that would make replays feel better. Where so like, oh, I'm getting the other half now. I feel like I got four-ish. Yeah. Playthrough. Four I, skills, like meaningfully. Yeah. Man, yeah. I don't know. They, like, like I said, I've played the first day three or four times, right? And even now, the last time I played, I know that my encyclopedia is real hard, but even like the logic, um, let's see if I can remember some of the other ones that are in blue, right? There's drama, there's visual calculus. Uh, okay, I remembered four, and I think there are eight of them, right? I can't even remember what the other four are. And There's like, six of them? It's logic, oh, it's encyclopedia, rhetoric, drama, conceptualization, visual calculus. My, my pushback to that, Will, is that these aren't adding events to what well, they do. They don't add that yeah. many events to the game, right? They're affecting the flavor text you get, right? So it, it's, it is more of a choice than a, I'm not getting the game because I didn't see these. But it's your I counterpoint mean, that, of uh, encyclopedia is a pretty interesting one, though. Yeah, it, that like flavor text changes happen. how you experience the game, like fundamentally. And also, yeah, but that's that is the reason to replay it, right? Is I want a different flavor. This sure. double points thing of thought cabinet With, and no, I mean that your skill level adds like a base point. Oh yeah, also that, yes. the yeah. amount that you can put into it. Yeah, like, that's interesting. It's. It's interesting and incredibly complicated and yeah. like it also like you can fuck yourself up early because I chose like intellect as one of the places and I didn't end up going down those paths. Oh, imagine my playthrough where I was one point on two of the four categories. Yeah, that seems rough. Like that seems like that would have. I'm surprised I didn't block you on certain things. Like, I'm surprised you could finish the game, to be honest. But, but, I mean, even if you put one point in, right, it still takes you three levels to max out one of those skills. Three levels take is like hours worth of gameplay. Yeah. Like, if I wanted yeah. to, if I was at level one logic, wanted to max out my logic because I thought it was important for some reason, that 
we're talking hours of gameplay to be able to to, to check that and and get to the point where I and if it's my first time playing, I don't even know that that's the f- the most that I could go, right? Like right. Oh man, well, this system is raw in that it that it doesn't explain enough to tell you yeah. It, it ended up in that place also for me where I was fearful to spend my skill points because it was like you were getting them so sporadically that I was like, if I put this into a place that I want so I can get to unlock a check, I know it's going to be a bunch of time before I can get enough experience and I'm not exactly sure where I will be able to get that experience from um, to get the next skill point. And that piece was actually... a a pretty challenging part of the experience. Did you guys get to a point where you would get a skill point and then not assign it until you had like failed a skill check? So that's where that's, I was at this point. No, but that's very smart. I definitely had withheld using a skill point, not knowing where, what skill checks I would come up against and then would like spend it appropriately once I knew that. Well, you guys are being such gamers about this though. Yeah. I, I think but it, I think it, that's it's the place where I was in the game, and maybe this is because on day two and I didn't have enough things unlocked, but like I looked at my map and it's like these are the six skill checks that are available to you. Mm-hmm. I, I've I went over the entire world twice. There's nothing more to unlock. The only things that are available to me are these six skill checks. And so the next time I got a point, I basically have to put it into one of these six things. Otherwise, I'm just not making any progress in this game at all. That is like a failing of the game where later in the game when you've opened up, like there's like 30 skill checks and you're like, or skill checks to do. And you're like, cool, I'm not going to be able to do all of those. And like you recognize that, but like that learning happens way late in the game, in my opinion. Yeah, I don't feel like I ever... And I don't know why I felt this way, but I never felt that those skill checks were a means to guide me towards something. I felt very confident that no matter what points I put where, I would be able to beat the game. Uh, and apparently, especially pre-Final Cut, that's not quite true. There were some... I think really... that was the intention of the developer, though. Like, yes. I think that your good faith argument, I think, is what they intended to be true. But you don't... You... <laughs> You, if you've played other games, it's unlikely that you're going to... Like, I don't think they should have to clarify that, but also this doesn't exist in a vacuum. You're coming from other games where that's literally a legitimate way for the game to be telling you exactly what to be doing. True. That screen is there, right? Here's the things yeah. you need points on. So, like, as much as I don't like assigning responsibility to the game to tell you that, I think it's a great point you make. Well, it probably should well, have some way of throwing it to you, like, you don't. You're not going to do all these. I, yeah. I. I mean, I was here earlier today, so let, let's talk about that for just a second, because I got to a point where, and I, I feel like you had talked to me about this kind of point before, so I feel like you've gotten to the similar point. But like I said, I explored the entire world. I couldn't, because of various skill checks, I couldn't make any more progress. I knew that there were progresses. Just because of my previous playthroughs, like getting into that hotel that I couldn't get to through the bookstore, like I uh, I couldn't figure out that somebody actually shot the the guy, the hanged man, 
Like I knew there were things that I could, as soon as I like breached these thresholds, there would be entire parts of the story. But I got to a point where I was like, I can't make any more progress here. I see these skill checks. These are the, the, I know that these are the things that would allow me to like break open parts of the story. And my only path forward was to sit and read my books until the time progressed to a place where I could find some more conversations to get the skill points to break open those things. Is there something else I could have been or should have been doing, thinking about a different way to approach the game? Like, you make it seem like having these skill checks was a constraint I put upon myself. But from my perspective, it seemed like that's the only way to progress in the game. Yeah, you're right. The whole middle of this game was really hard for me. I had to figure out how to pass time. Turns out if you have your casebook completed, you can read it to pass infinite amounts of time, which I did not know, slash didn't know was a thing in the base game. So I had real problems passing time. And it's funny to me that I just thought, oh, I'll just pass time until the next day, then plot things will move forward. I never really looked at it like I'm going to spec things differently to unlock a new skill check. So in that sense, that's just me being dumb. Well, I, I mean, I don't think that's you being dumb. I think uh, yeah, I don't think yeah. it's you dumb. I had more context because I had replayed it three times, right? Mm. There was, for me, there were specific places where by like happenstance into another conversation or something that happened, I thought that I was blocked and that the skill checks were the only way forward. And then I would find, oh, if I go down a different conversational path, even with someone that I had talked to and I thought that I had finished all of the potential options there, like something else opened up or you would get into the space where um, I, I think there was a couple of times where it's was like, I, I think like, I feel blocked and I think I had just gone to bed and that opened up like one new avenue. And like when I pulled that thread, it opened up other threads, but there was definitely early parts in the game. Um, in that first like 10 hour section where I was, I felt, I definitely thought I was blocked by skill checks and was frustrated by it. And then yeah. found like, oh, okay, there, there always seems to be something else around, but it is, it did feel obtuse and obscure in some capacities. Can I can I bring up one more thing that sure. irked me a little bit, but was a one of my gaming mentors, as you were, really hated about this game. If you follow a conversation tree and you've followed a node of that tree before the node will be grayed out even if yeah, there are leaves that is, under that node that have not yes, been that is, grayed out. Is that, that is annoying. That is, yeah. And that does happen. I it's think super frustrating. that part of the reason this game worked for me is very early I was like, I'm not going to play this as a typical narrative quest, like tree where I'm going to like just complete all the things. Mm. And I think if you do that, this game sort of, I, th I think that actually pushes you down the... Like it doesn't actually, but I feel like it pushes you down the centrist path, kind of, right? Like, if you're playing this to see all the dialogue choices, you're probably going to pick the most neutral option, and I think that's part of why the game's making fun of you. But I think it's because of that that I didn't worry too much about unseen dialogue options, and that helped me to like keep in the zone of enjoying it. But it is, like, that has to be a design choice, right? Like, that can't be... It just seems very strange. I agree that it's annoying. Yeah. It feels like you, that could have been expressed or said 
at some point, right? All these choices make sense and are valid and are valid game design choices. I would just like the game to tell me that instead of me needing to figure it out through like brute force. Oh, I spent three hours of this game not realizing there was a choice I could make because it was hidden behind something. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. I think I think that you specifically called criticism. out to me that time only progresses when you make choices. I'm skeptical that I would have noticed or how how soon I, I would have noticed that that was happening. I there's, definitely only knew that by reading. Like I think there's a certain the point that, and maybe they added this in the final cut, but there's something that like, I believe Kim says, hey, like we need to turn in for the night. There's nothing more you can do today or something of that nature. That does and happen like, at the end of the day, yeah. There's one conversation item where the system says, if you make if you have this conversation choice before you have this conversation choice, bad things will happen. And I was like, whoa, what? Really? And that's the only time I saw that happen in the game. D- does that, that happen must have been at a big everywhere plot else? Moment? Yeah, I don't remember that happening. The specific example they give is when you talk to the uh, the bartender, who's not a bartender, whatever his name is. <laughs> Boy, that's funny. Gart. Gart. If you like ask him some context, he'll give you some information about the context. And then you ask him whether or not he killed the guy. And that like pisses him off, right? So if you piss him off first, he won't give you the context from that initial question. I'm sure that's happening all throughout the game. I don't think you're supposed to like game for that though, right? Yeah. But that's another tricky. If it's actually a conversation simulator, you don't. Yeah, but like it's like how how are you thinking about those options, right? It's like what you were saying, right? Am I picking all four options because they were gray and or before because they were white and now they become gray? So I'm yeah. just going through the list? Or am I actually thinking about okay, because I've said this, that changes his context, that changes his perception of me, that changes the the flow of the conversation, so now this other option won't make sense anymore. Like right. That the Having that happen in theory sounds really cool, but I didn't actually see that happening in the game. Well, I don't know if you would see it, right? You would never know if that was happening if it wasn't being called out. Yeah. I mean, yeah, but the game could tell me that in a couple of ways, right? It could say, what? I'm not going to tell you that. You just called me a racist. Or, you know, something like that, right? feel like stuff like that does happen and what do you think craig like not that you know what's fucking interesting if you're a um i forget what it is if you're a communist checks yes there's that if you're a communist and an authoritarian at the end kim says like i have no idea how you have these two viewpoints they make no (laughs) sense together like there's that's but, amazing. But that doesn't happen that often. You're more often you're yeah. just like, "Oh, here's a thing because you're a communist. Oh, here's another thing because you're an authoritarian." Right. Yeah. And that's probably just cuz they only had 20 writers, not like uh, <laughs> Hades number. Um, or although amount of I time. wonder Yeah, do you think um Hades had more or less dialogue in this game? I would assume less. I definitely assume less. Yeah. 
So how many how many times more words do you guys want to bet that Disco Elysium has than Hades? So I seen I oh man, so it's a good question because I've seen multiple reports on how many words are in Disco Elysium. Um, so I would guess four times the amount of words in Disco Elysium than Hades. Five, five times. Yeah. Okay. It's two hundred thousand words of which are dialogue. Three hundred thousand okay. words total. I guessed. I my guess was uh, fifty for Hades and two hundred for Disco. I think it's two hundred and a million. Shit, Jesus. I had so I had seen the million number come up, but I couldn't find a way to confirm it. All they've said is w- over a million. How many words are in War and Peace? Oh, it's it's the benchmark, isn't it? To me, it like. War and Peace is only 587,000. That's incredible. I I would love to know, this would be much more helpful if we knew how many words were in the average playthrough of Disco Elysium. Oh, that's true. Because there being a million words probably means that the average player sees... I Okay, in 80 days, the developer said that there are... God, I don't remember the number of words, but I believe it's 1.5 times as many words as, as War and Peace... And the average player sees 3% of those words in one playthrough. What? And 80 Days is heralded as like a a landmark in, which I've never played. So I don't know why that is. Like, should. It's also a mobile game first, wasn't it? It's not Uh, where it started. I think so. Yeah. Anyways. All right. Last, uh, Last hot topic. Any interest in discussing Dolores Day? I just heard that she was a person. I don't know. Yeah. She's like she a is. religious figure from 300 years ago. In the game or in I, real life? In, no, in the game. I was curious. Did we have Dolores Day? I'm only interested in because of the way she conflates with our ex-wife. I've heard people describe the ex-wife thing as the least interesting thing part of this game, but I thought it was beautiful and cool every time it came up, and I didn't pursue it very far. Every time you have these like fractured memories of your ex-wife, I just th- thought it was really cool. I think there's there's really interesting things about what that says about you, about a reflection of yourself. There's like I even there was like some hints of like codependency of like oh, yeah. you lose yourself without this person also and like when who she leaves are you, you become alcoholic, that is not a healthy relationship, says my therapist. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. There's that. And then I left her. Delor- <laughs> Mm-hmm, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Dolores, yeah, exactly. Um, Dolores also is like a godly figure in the world and worshipped, right? Like the church is an altar to Dolores and conflating her with your wife, like you and like worshipping your relationship to your wife. Like there, there is There's a lot, a lot going on, on there. there. Yeah. It, this feels like one of those things where I would trust that the author has a whole shit ton there's another 500,000 words that they could probably uh-huh. say about like what this relationship is and it probably honestly I, I'm i curious if there's like more of this that was on the cutting room floor for the game Did you? I'm curious um, too because it's like a thread that's pulled on but you can actually like pull the entire thread where a lot of the rest of the game you can like keep pulling and it doesn't feel like you ever get to the end of the line where this there kind of is there's a bust in the communists room uh, and you're like, hey, that bust kind of looks like me. And you have a whole conversation with Kim oh, about yeah. whether or not you are the the man on the bust. 
And he's like, well, that guy died five or 50 years ago. <laughs> and you, know, you go back and forth. And for me, at the end of that, it's like, turns out I'm not the most famous philosopher of the modern period. <laughs> we, <laughs> we eventually agreed on that. But like, I, I bring it up in the light context that this conflagration, con- conflation, the conflation. Uh, cross uh, ideas that, you know, you might be other uh, super important ideas in the philosophical religious history of this world is not uh, solely your ex-wife. Um, yeah, there's a bunch of... Yeah, th- that's a good point. The, yeah. Yeah. You're basically saying, like, your character is extremely unreliable, and just because you're mixing her up with Dolores Day is not necessarily an indication that you're having, like, Christ-like allegorical comparisons with your ex-wife. Or, vice versa, maybe she is Dolores Day, and you are this philosophical or you know philosopher reincarnated and 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 right (laughs) yeah all right yep that's fun take us home whoo disco elysium what do we all think what's our take better as a racing game was it (laughs) I would love to see someone speed run it. I mean, to be fair, we know Will doesn't even know the answer to this. You tried to play it as a racing game and crashed your car into the ice just outside the town. Three times. Yeah, that is. Three times. Yeah. Just kept kept Three different starts finding, and every time yeah. he ended up with his truck in the ice. Thank God Harry Dubois is a genius. Yeah. Yeah, why don't I start? Um, I think that I am... Um, I have a tendency to like RPGs in general. Um, this is my kind of game. I think that the art style was pretty cool. I'm glad that I got the final cut of this game because for me, the voice acting was really important for me to be able to like buy into the this world and these characters in general. I thought that, um. I'm a big fan of like super complicated intricate systems and interlocking systems and um I like this idea. Um I should go try and find this, but there was somebody who was suggesting that like the way you should build your game is that like 65% of your game should be available to every single player. 30% of your game should require a little extra work to get to and 5% of your game should require like you're you're super investing to try and get to to see that outcome right so there's like 5% of your game which should only be available to like the most religious advent players of your game and so I, I like this idea that if I put in more work I will get more out of this game there are so many parts of this game that I feel were like reaching out to me and like would have been perfect for me the problem for me was the inapproachability like maybe it's the subject maybe it's the the super hard cliff on the onboarding which i you know i i really went i feel like i went out of my way to try to overcome i really really tried to buy into this game and i wanted it to be something that I really enjoyed. I, I, As sad as it makes me feel, I feel like this game 
wasn't a game for me as as much as it feels like it should have been a game for me it just wasn't something for me and it's like the mechanics and the and the systems and all of that was built and designed for someone like me in mind but but the story the the context those kinds of things just wasn't for me and it's like it's a good sign for video games as an industry we're getting so big that we can build these um specific experiences for specific kinds of people like very specific kinds of people this is a game for for people who like rpgs and are into political theory and are into um like all of these it, it it's a very it's it it seems like it's a great game it's just sadly it's just not for me so um i'm i am sad that i am so impressed by this game that wasn't for me i just beat hollow knight and i know how you feel the most controversial thing that's ever been said on our podcast is that Hollow Knight's defeat could elicit anything other than utter transcendence and a direct express ticket to heaven. Yeah. Are you going to finish it, Will? God. I As I'm playing it, I'm like, oh, I want to play this. Have I want three playthroughs of this game. But also, if we weren't podcasting about it, I would not have picked it back up again. So Got it's it. really hard. Yeah. I understand. I understand that feeling, yeah. Is there mechanical tweaks that could have been made to ease you into it such that you would have like enjoyed the end result or do you just think the core premise of something so like political and unapproachable is the issue? Um I talked about some of them. Like I I think there's too many skills. I think that um what, could could those like changes have tipped you over? Do you think like Fundamentally, you'd still be confronting the fact that it's just not a game for you, but you just would have made it through easier. Yeah. Um, like, I got I got closer than ever picking up Encyclopedia, like you suggested. If there was something even more in that area, Encyclopedia... The, the the elementary school version of encyclopedia like seriously break this shit down for me understand the the concepts and the characters that that would have helped more um less skills i think would have helped more um but, for but for me have, would you um, have wanted to do all that let's say there's wikipedia integration with the game so when you hover over communism there's a one paragraph explanation of what that is like if everything was made easier at the end of the day, do you want to play a game that's all about fully immersing you in like this kind of world? I like the idea of inhabiting the role of this character, being able to make choices that affect my world, uh, having like the the choice of how I would approach a situation. The like the the systems part, I loved. I. I think that like one of the other things we talked about a little bit earlier in the game, like if they just short gave me some shortcuts onto what we're talking about, you didn't need or 
I don't feel like you needed to introduce 10 new races so that I could figure out what the con like you tell me 10 races and I still don't know what race Kim is. Do you guys know what race Kim is? Seolite, which is a Seolite. combination of Japan and Korea. Okay. And did, did you know that, Craig? <laughs> I'm just just out of curiosity. I, I, I knew that you were Seolite, but I didn't know like what that given that we don't exist in our world. But yes, I, I knew that piece of at least. Yeah, I th I feel like there's just a lot of I need to do the work to appreciate this game, and I would have just appreciated more if the game did the work for me or gave me the shortcuts to allow me to enjoy and understand. As soon as we started, as soon as I started talking to the character about like, what does reality mean? What is th this mm. this concept of this like uh, negative space between the worlds, and this world isn't actually a a, a sphere and like we're jumping between um, like dimensions on a, a weird interdimensional plane. Like, um, and you guys started talking about, oh, there's an alien race that's kind of, um, it's like creature, uh, you know, Shaping puppeteering events. the way that that humanity is evolving. Like, there's so many cool, cool ideas that I totally want to have seen and explored and thought about and experienced but yeah there yeah i'm i feel I, like i, I was that, almost there what i hear you saying is yes you do want to get there i think the tragedy is that this does happen just by sticking with it i i wish that there was a way to make that on-ramp more gentle but it's interesting to me that i think the confusion you're experiencing is almost intentional and i'm Kind of curious to hear what Craig says about it. I'm going to go next to give Craig something to kind of play off of. When I think about Disco Elysium and when I remember how it felt to play it, the metaphor that comes to my mind is I feel like I was the video game sci-fi fan watching No Man's Sky's debut trailer in 2014. This is everything I want games to be. I I think that this game is spec it's just incredible. And I think that one thing that's cool about it is it is it it's certainly a high water mark for video game RPGs. Tons of people say that. That I'm I'm a little worried about that because I think that that makes people thinking that they should make a great RPG try to make a Disco Elysium alike. I don't think the the medium needs more of that. It has its Disco Elysium. So I'm a little worried about that. But I think what's so spectacular about it is is it I like I genuinely and unironically think that it brings literature to new heights and I think that where it really shines as a work is in fiction and writing. If I know people that really like writing, I would push them to and that don't care about video games, I would still push them to play this game and that is something that I think games have always wanted to have good writing. There's always been this claim that games have good writing, but Saying that, I think, is uh, unexpected and a joy to have received in our lifetime. The The skills you can spec in this game that give you sort of a, what Just King Things calls the, the wandering eye camera that Stephen King does so well, where you pull out from the world you're in and you just get this big picture view of what's happening elsewhere in the world is just 
it's it's so beautiful to me and so it's everything i go to literature for it's it's the way i want to be able to think about life on our planet it's what i want to understand more cultures for to be able to pull out from the present and think in a bigger context i feel you will i think it's it's a tough on ramp but i love the confidence that this game has it doesn't try to onboard you it gives you enough to let you figure it out but it's kind of up to you to do the work i think that's just amazing i i don't think i can't think of many other games that have such foreign settings that don't sort of like gently walk you into it like you're a newcomer and i i don't know i'm kind of running out of words for that particular feeling but i i just think it's very very impressive i'm the politics of the world are interesting the way it plays off real life political theory the way that it like the way that it's able to be smart without feeling like it's rubbing your face and you're not being smart is really amazing. I'm interested in the way that it uses race. We didn't really get a chance to talk about this, but it compresses race when it's convenient for the story in ways that are sometimes a little offensive. Like it uses mesk as a race for Hispanic and talks about the Spanish Civil War. But in the full cut, it'll sometimes include Chicano voices, clearly from like kind of a South southern california like place when it's convenient for it to talk about mesqueness and clearly spanish revolution spain and southern california are like completely unrelated and to conflate those is almost offensive but the fact that like yeah it's a game written by a team of eastern european people and i'm i'm very fascinated by how it the races that are in the developer's backyard it has quite a nuanced understanding of and the ones a little further away it it doesn't and i think that's cool i think it's kind of cool that it doesn't tackle race perfectly but it tries the fact that it has a black character that completely inverts colonial stereotypes in measurehead that was written by black authors is fucking wild it's cool it's like a i don't know it's just neat i the way the phasmid speaks to you at the end of the game about seeing all of human history is just breathtaking. I can barely talk about it without tearing up. It was such a moving experience to me. It's something that I've like craved finding in literature. I read books about other countries and other cultures for these kind of things. And this game did it. And the fact that it's not just about an imaginary world, but has parallels to the world we live in, I think is just another layer of what makes it fantastic. I think the systems that it innovates as an RPG are not just ways to shoehorn text into a genre. Kind of like I was saying before, I think there's like genuine innovation here that a very serious historical genre of video games hasn't seen in a long time. And I think that's cool. Um, What can I say about it that's negative? I think it could be better at replayability. It could make its systems more clear. But I don't really think those things matter. When when we talked about Kentucky Route Zero on our podcast, that game kind of became more parsable to me. It became more of a, oh, this is a toy box of some nerds' like art interests. And that game sort of fell off its pedestal to me and also became more respectable as like, you know, art is really cool. It's cool that video games can be conversing with the serious art world. That's neat. 
But for everything that that game does in that regard, I think it sort of loses its luster as a game and becomes more of an intermodal art project. Disco Elysium, on the other hand, everything it does that I think is amazing makes it stronger as a game. I think that's spectacular. So this is definitely my favorite game I've ever played, and I think it's cool, and I'm glad you both are here to talk about it. What do you think? Um, I'm interested that it's... Go ahead, Will. Before you go jump in, you said yeah. this is not a completely divorced from our reality world. What what did you mean by that? Yeah, I think it's tying into like Eastern European politics and the way, yeah, the kind of stuff we talked about with the Imperial core. Yeah. It's not set up in some made up world with like some other problems that humanity is like not actually facing. In a way it is, but it also manages to comment on our world without being like a lazy way of avoiding commenting on our world, I think. Yeah. Okay. I, I thought wish you we were... had time to debate, but we're, we're late. Yeah, I thought yeah. you were saying, oh, this is our world in the year 3000 or something. Oh, no. Yeah. Sorry to interrupt. Go ahead, Craig. No, no, it's all good. I would say that when you mentioned the mechanics, you're like, what's there to be negative about? Moving through this game world fucking oh, yeah. sucks. Yeah, it's moving sucks. Truly added, miserable. Did they add quick travel in the uh, final I cut? unlocked fast travel to the There's like fish market. There's specific places. But I didn't know how travel. to use it or what to do with it. Yeah, it's... It's not great. Yeah, and I think the console implementation of movement is bad. Yeah, like just playing on a console did not feel good at all. Yeah. Selecting things felt really weird. <laughs> Selecting things feels real bad, especially compared to like Immortality, where you can freeze the screen and just like know what's selectable on the screen. Um, yep. Yeah. And but, then there was a button to show you everything that's selectable on the screen, and that doesn't show you everything that's selectable on the screen. <laughs> yeah, and it doesn't make it easier to select really? anything either. Yeah, it's like all the the bottles that you pick up are not selected. Yeah, are not highlighted. As oh, that's from the that tear. Yeah, yeah, the tear. Yeah, I mean, yeah. this is a PC ass port. If there ever was one, yeah, it absolutely is. Um, I won't go too deep into that space because I think we've covered it. But yeah, I guess my wrap up thoughts. I don't think they're going to be as exhaustive as either of your guys's with regards to the grand scale of what was accomplished here or what was sought, sought after. But for me, I looked at it as an opportunity, as an introduction to a different type of literature than I'm normally seeking or exposed to, and having the opportunity to exist in something that is actually immersive. <laughs> we talk about games being an immersive experience, and that's usually like, hey, I want to exist within this thing that's separate from the world outside of me. But this was like, I need to exist in this thing because without becoming fully immersed within that world, I don't have an understanding of the space. And I thought that was a really interesting you know, thing to try and occupy, and especially a unique opportunity within gaming. And bridging the world between literature to games is something that I think is, is wholly unique to Disco Elysium's experience here at least at the proficiency at which it accomplished it, right? It's not to say that there's not a ton of other games that have a shit ton of text or are written well or have other places there, but it's that 
combination of taking high concept ideology and you know different perspectives on the world and then bring able to make that accessible playable and understandable to some extent right mileage may vary <laughs> as we discussed over the last three hours um but that's a really unique kind of combination and it was also something where I probably would have bounced off early on, right? And I'm like happy that I stuck with it and didn't leave it after two hours of being like, what the fuck is happening here? Like I've spent as much time as I would spend on a movie trying to understand and parse what's occurring here. And I still didn't feel comfortable in that space. And I think there's something about being pushed to that limit of uncomfortability to be able to understand what something is trying to achieve or accomplish. and even leaving the the game when it was finished, right? I didn't feel like I had a complete understanding or a comprehensive view of the philosophy of the theories of the different like machinations of like how things were being presented in a way that I would be able to go out and articulate to someone of like, what was Disco Elysium? Like, I don't know. It's a thought bucket of a bunch of different things that are happening of within yourself and within the world. But there's something beautiful within that and I'm grateful that it exists and that there was an opportunity that a collective could put this together and put it into a place that they could present it to the public. And Nate, to one thing you mentioned, right? Like while I would say I would like to explore this and give it as a, as an option for someone that's deep into literary or literature and reading, like it's kind of, can be miserable to play at times as well. So it'd be like, can we have a guided experience here? Um, which bums me out in some ways because it keeps it from being that true full recommendation of, hey, you don't even need to know the medium. Like you get to experience like what the medium is capable of when it starts to bridge between something that has existed for hundreds and thousands of years versus something that's existed in a recent time, right? And there's something maybe that bridges into the themes of the game of the history and the how things repeat itself but separating out that theme it's just like i can't hand it over to someone and be like hey you can you've never touched a controller before you would be able to see kind of the best of the combination of the the mediums and that's like an unfortunate and that's a bit of a failing of the game but it's also not what it was trying to accomplish and i'm glad it wasn't trying to seek out to be that so I'll wrap up there, but I'm I'm grateful this exists. I'm grateful to have played it and had the opportunity for it and glad that it's paved, you know, an opportunity for something to exist in this space. And I think you're going to see a lot of different riffs on variations of this over the next few years. But I think there's something truly and wholly unique for creating this sort of a work of peace, um, especially when you look at, you know, classics of literature it's not like every year there's a thousand page book that people look at and they're like oh this thing will be referenced in 10 or 20 years right um it doesn't come along that often i think there is something to be said here that even if you don't enjoy it there's something that you can appreciate about it wonderful conclusion i think my one quibble would be it's not like you can hand someone the best works of literature and say, read this. True. You can, but part of what makes it great is it's 
impenetrability. And also, in some ways, Disco Elysium plays so poorly that it would be a great first game because you wouldn't know better. <laughs> be like, oh yeah, the movement's <laughs> a little chunky, but what do I know? Yeah. Fair. I think this has been a great podcast. Thank you all for joining. Thanks for sharing with us. Hello, it's Nate. After completing the edit, I've been thinking about pieces of media that are related and might be enjoyable to someone who liked this conversation or liked this game. Uh, I'll start out with two books that I think are related. Uh, If you're curious where I got the sort of Eastern European perspective, there's obviously a lot more to be said there than I uh, got to in the episode. But Owen Hatherley is a really good author. He's a good person to follow on Goodreads, too. He has a book that I've read called The Adventures of Owen Hatherley in the Post-Soviet Space, where he does kind of a well-informed travel journal of each of the post-Soviet countries. That's a great book. He has other uh, books that are similar, kind of ethnographically exploring the rise of fascism across Europe. Uh, There's also a book called Solenoid by a Romanian author, uh, Mircea Catarescu. Um, that's what I would cite if you are looking for a sort of high-minded, prose-heavy work of literature. That's kind of the most beautiful thing I think I've ever read. I'm only a third of the way through it. It's kind of like a big maximalist novel that was sort of like, what if Kafka met Borges? Yeah, uh, it's pretty crazy. Recommended reading if you're just in for some good prose. As far as video games go, um, I think Road Warden is a really good indie text-based RPG with graphics. That'll kind of make sense when you see it. Uh, It's a really good, like, meaningful choice-driven text game that really has a rich sense of place. There is Clam Man 2 Open Mic, which is a demo for the forthcoming Clam Man 2. I don't even know if there was a Clam Man 1. Clam Man 2 is very, kind of like a sweet uh, game about being a clam that's very clearly inspired by Disco Elysium. It has some beautiful writing and is just kind of like a scaled-down, lovely version of this game. There is, of course, Pentiment, which is Josh Sawyer of Obsidian's early Renaissance Bavarian game, wherein you're playing a, a traveling artisan. I think that's also very rich in place and is also like a game about a culture that's far removed from us. And I think the only other thing I would say is it might be fun to plug Cosmo D's new game, uh, Betrayal at Club Low, which kind of sort of unabashedly borrows the the dice mechanics of Disco Elysium into kind of a choice-based RPG with an incredible jazz electronic soundtrack. I'm a beta tester for his games. They're all pretty great. I think that's all the recommendations I can think of. I hope that you all enjoyed this one. It was a big one. Talk to you soon.